Welcome back. This is the Bodega Border Crew Podcast, Volume 13, Episode 13. How's everybody doing? I'm obviously battling a little bit of a cold that I got courtesy of my daughter and uh, her daycare, but I'll get through it. It's not such a big deal. One thing that's definitely not been a big deal has been this uh, swell that's out there, or lack of. I mean, it's been pretty flat. Uh, I think everyone's bummed on it. I'm kind of bummed on it. Try to find little nuggets. I even tried to... surf uh boneyard yesterday at doheny trying to catch any little dribbler i could it was really depressing but um i'm gonna take a couple of days off with this cold so maybe perfect timing uh might work out for the best for me anyway this episode is really big really important to us uh we have an interview with joel tudor uh he was really nice enough to let us come over his house, talk about a bunch of stuff. I think it's really interesting. First of all, you know, I don't think we'd be doing what we do to the extent that we do it uh, if it wasn't for Joel. He's been a supporter of the Bodega Border Crew since day one, reposting our stuff, you know, before we even had a podcast. Uh, so it was great to talk to him about uh, some things, uh, particularly the wave pool uh, thing that happened, the contest at uh, Kelly's Surf Ranch. But we're not going to give away too much with that. Uh, we also have some short takes uh, having to do with um, with the Hot Dogger Championship that's happening October 7th. Uh, there's an interesting article on Jason Dill, skateboarder who owns uh, Fucking Awesome, who some of our friends uh, skate for. Great company. Uh, also, a Spike Jones documentary that uh our friend patrick odell did over at vice that's really good and this uh, shark buoy system that they're testing out in newport uh that i think is kind of interesting but time for a little housekeeping uh make sure to check us out on instagram at bodega border crew make sure to check out our page uh bodega border where we have links to things we're talking about people we're talking with our merch the track listings uh speaking of tracks this week, we're really going to keep it down uh, around this uh, 90 to like 97, 98 era, uh, particularly because uh, it's a bit of time that Joel spent out there in New York, and it's my favorite era of hip-hop, to be honest. And after we talked uh, on in the interview about that era, it got me hyped and looking back at some of the old tracks that I really loved. Uh, so we're going to stick with that. Uh, gonna start out with uh, some diggable planets uh, and then bust into some native tongues action so uh, again this is the bodega border crew podcast i'm gonna play a couple of tracks and i'll check in with you guys in a little bit peace Change the light seasons, moods I be seeing. 
changes life's reasons On to express the ways that I can flex her Swoon unit glow as I go But a flow, I take a chance Go against the norm, but then you still make advance To my lady form, okay Shall I smack a ghetto punk with the line? But okay, slap a metal punk with the fine I slip this only to the ones who lack respect The rest just get your ticket pronto and check But please, do what you feel, do what you feel The punk brown bass, my man. This be the medium used by dick plans. Hit the cosmics like a funk and not. Leave the ladybugs with forget funk knots. Black sunflowers bloom, be a tune. If the sound from the dicks, it'll zoom up your room. Bugs block spots where hip hop be a norm. If Capri is the kid, the floor's getting stormed with the bass in your face. What? Space is the place. Bugs take a stand, goddamn, it's a jam. See, no. No uncivilized just Popping out the jive And the jazz wasn't rushed Can you dig it? My mellow is that cool cat sound Do the bug John Cream told me That the G be getting down Shit, that's mandatory So you got to demand it And if they cannot help He's a ticket to the planet So Do what you feel Do what you feel Do what you feel Yeah, do what you feel Do what you feel Do what you feel If it's real Man, I do that In the mad degrees With my crew and shit Honey dip cool Rejuvenate the plates for my peoples and they speakers. Bleacher, rap, make it need a crutch. Planets wouldn't allow themselves to roll like such. Expressions, sighting, scripting, talk. Fighting status quo is being an artist in New York. Tongues be often fought, flows be often caught. If they call it fat, we just ignore it like it's pork. Planets got them thoughts, blooming flowers in the dents. They said the grass was greener, so we snuck and hopped the fence. Landed in a meadow, glimpsed and saw a shadow. A brothers with guitars, common sense, and puffy afros. Nux was getting raised. Past was getting blazed, feds was cracking domes, but these cats they wasn't phased. In tight grips, yet the lips was talking fun. Rhythms and the struggle kind of bundled into one. True funk cannot disguise because the streets have eyes. Who's gonna revive? Well, us and vibe. Did it like a dick planet, god damn it. To get a good kick it, suggest you get your ticket and do what you Shows that come in fine. If you're with a G and you're sipping wine, eating catchatory with a twist of lime. Gotta meet your lover at a quarter to nine. Joint five base, then you get your hind. If you get your hind, then mine's is next. The S Scott page really stands for sex. Beef was going off like Don Trump gets checks. Keep my bases loaded like the New York Mets. At times I miss the pager so you don't get back. Having bad days like a voodoo hex. Conceptually, a pager is so complex that I'll be standing on the verge. Ready to flex.
The batteries they use are called Duracell. They last for three weeks, so they do me well. Don't be going through no phases, my joint stays on. 24-7 from dusk till dawn. If you're in Costa Rica on a sunlit beach, you grieve for the viper, I can't be reached. A number of importance I just put it on lock. You leave post 69, that means you want some. People tend to think that a page is foul. Well, it kind of is because it makes me scowl. But it really hurts when you're on the prowl. Brothers know it hurts when you're on the prowl. Grabbing on my drunk because I'm an eager owl. Get paged by a G or a business pal. My shit is overflowing. It won't allow another page. Oh yeah, that's that shit 
Drop lyrics on you, strong as ammonia. That is a thone, you scone, you join you. I tried to warn you. You was waxing, I know you. Fake as a cupid, sicone you. Water just shown you. Real lyrics don't own you. Look aside, my rap book at every text. My man is either that I got more essays than the Mexican. The Messiah is feared great. Leaving rappers in a weird state. Scared straight for their prepared fate. Strong as an elephant, intelligent, compelling, and elegant. So well in it with every single element. And competition gets none. Huh. If I was wearing pantyhose, you still couldn't give me no run. I see the way you're trying to get to me, but with that speech and me, man, you gotta come better, G. You're hitting all the wrong switches to begin again. Mumble mouth rappers couldn't last a minute with the non-resistible, non-competible. No, 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 I'm not saying on the best. I'm just saying I'm fucking incredible. And let's just make one more thing understood. That if I fought on a record, trust me, nigga, it'll sound good. So, JC, if you're down with the groove, my mellow, get on the mic, it's time to show a bro. Uh, one, checking it, two, checking it, three, check out the J, check out the A, check out the Y, check out the Z. Hi, G, I'm breaking MCs up like EPMD. And these nuts, if your rap is trying to see me, I'm buck wild with style, sit out. I'm ripping and running a hundred miles, I'm well endowed, baby gal. Uh, the greatest nigga to touch it, you niggas can't fuck with. The incredible skills of the jail from Brooklyn. Big up, kid, and ain't no eating me up, you're fast fucking with jigger. I'm like Prince Jeans, I bring the ass out the nigga. When I rock it, it's in the pocket, baby, mop it, don't knock it till you try it. Once you start, you can't stop it. I'm the cocky breed, I'm dope like poppy seed. I live one rich with plies of between, get off my dick and stop jacking me. When I bust a rhyme, you're digging the sound. I know you're loving the way you're going down, baby, so wait, son, huh? If you're down with the crew, why don't you get on the mic and show and prove? Come on, Wu-Tang, killer bees on the form. Rain on your collar, your ass just go dorm. Slippery with wet, and don't you ever forget you couldn't get a flick of the hype outfit because the way that I dress this style, man, wow. Enough to make a crowd of women scream, ow! Whether at a party or just in bed, or thought your name's on, keep that in your head. My beats are funky and my rhymes are spunky. So time to be like, well, God damn, what's the rest of it? I don't know. I asked my mama. They don't know. She says, go ask your goddamn father. It's all about me and the place to be. Niggas think they all that. Yo, that shit is G. Mad game and there's some motherfucking shame. How many enemies want to claim the name of Aeson? Who carries on like a manager? Yo, say fly right. Now I'm gonna take you for a ride. Hold on tight so you don't slip or slide. This train is packed, you don't get no seat. Yup, you gotta stand on your tired feet. Where we going, don't worry, you'll be there in a hurry. But you better watch your pockets, cause the thieves work quickly. This is a New York transit thing. Don't wear too much gold and hide your diamond rings. And don't smile at anyone. Cause people out here, they like to travel with handguns. You say you like this trip, well are you sure? Better step lively. Watch the, watch the closing doors. Here we go as we ride through the underground. Coming from uptown, taking you downtown. Headed for Brooklyn. Brooklyn, the planet. Somebody stinks in here. I hope you can stand it. Homeless people everywhere holding cups for change. And if you don't have none, they may look at you strange. But this is all part of the scene. And yo, check those kids, cause they're starting to scheme. See 
I'm looking at you up and down. Oh yeah, they can tell if you're somebody from out of town. Think they won't harm you, well they might, and that ain't right. But every day is like a fight. And I blast to any whack MC that steps up is getting plastered straight against the wall. Cause I don't stall, I give them drama and trauma till they all fall. And for those who don't know about the city life, it's where we take no pity and the kitties are trite. Taking the train is just part of it. The next stop is Brooklyn, you're coming to the heart of it. You never know what will occur. So just keep to yourself and watch the closing doors. The shit's haunted, dog on it, your girl's on it, record companies are on it, you can't have it causing havoc, building, destroying, deploying, my rhymes on beat strategically, I melt any MC, I rep rough, oh fuck it, don't even gotta say it, you know the time when I start to saute it, so niggas be having mad moss and shit, cause Brooklyn stole the show like a grand larcenist, but ease up off us so you'll need officers, we're deadly, there's no cure, boom bang them on down, treat competition
What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Bodega Border Crew podcast, volume 13, episode 13. Hope you've been digging the tracks. Uh, ended that little section with uh, some Gangstar Code of the Streets, one of my favorite Gangstar tracks ever. Uh, I don't care if people think it's overplayed. Premier's work on that, it's amazing. Love the lyrics, love the whole sound. Again, this is the Bodega Border Crew podcast. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check out our page at bodegabordercrew.podbean.com where we list all the tracks that we're playing. We post links to things we're talking about or people we're talking with. And speaking of people we're talking with, uh, coming up is an interview we did with uh, Joel Tudor. Uh, Joel had us over at his house in uh, San Diego. We got to talk about a bunch of random stuff. Um, always good to talk to someone who comes from a skate background into surfing and also someone as uh, prestigious as him in surf history. We kind of go right into it uh, talking about some 90s stuff in New York. Surprisingly, Joel and I went to the same parties, listened to the same music at the same time and never crossed paths. So it was fun to reminisce. And we just got right into it, so I hope you guys enjoy. To kind of get a, a two-year education in it, you know, and then I met Dante and all those guys around that time. But I didn't even know who Dante was. I had no idea, dude, for years. Oh, yeah. And even today when I – you have this stuff going now? Even yeah. today when I when I look at his posts and stuff, I'm always like, oh, I had no idea. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, he was – I mean, you know, he was – one of the biggest producers. But he never said a word, dude. You'd never know. He would never brag. At that time, he never said a word about any of the stuff that he did. Until he got older. I think after his dad died is when he first started really, like, starting to, like, say stuff. But he never said a word. And even today, he still says stuff. And I'm like... Well, he did that thing that was really cool. I don't know if you ever saw it on the barracks where it, our, my friend Retta did it with him where it was, like, the history of hip-hop. Yeah, I watched all of this. And, like, and it there's was, some the most amazing stories. I watched one, and I the same thing. I was like, how did you never say Because, you know, you meet so many famous people where they just tell you everything. You know what I mean? All yeah. stuff of how they got there and who they are and who yeah. they are. And, like, then you meet other people, and they don't say anything. It makes them that much cooler. But a lot of the guys that I met in New York at that time were, were involved in that sort of stuff. You know, like Ricky Powell. And, you know, I knew Ricky was involved in the hip-hop stuff, but he never really about it either. No, you know, no. I maybe that's like the, just that scene because it's you're so inherent in it. You know, you're just kind of like what, like you're living it, right? And you're kind of like, eh. Well, then I met Mike Sace, and yeah. through Mike Sace, did you ever meet Sace? No. He's a city kid. It's like a legend in the city. I met Mike Sace, and he was like between him and Lisa Cooper, I had like the key to the city to go over. But he took me to all the hip hop stuff because he knew everybody. He so was, what year was that when you came to New York? I came in '94. '94. It's between like '94 and '98. I got to catch. And why did why did you go stuff. there? Like I'm uh, curious. I ended up in New York because my girlfriend, at the time, I, I had met my girlfriend in Europe. You know, and European girls are pretty worldly. They yeah. speak like five languages. <laughs> been everywhere. She'd been everywhere and knew a bunch of people. And she was friends with this guy, Tony. He's a DJ. He used to be the DJ on Ellen. Tony Yaker. I can't even pronounce his last name. You know who he is. If you were to see him, she... she but he's not the guy that was like the D-Light DJ. No, not no. D-Light. Not that, not that Asian dude. Uh... Oh, he still DJs. He was on the Oh, Ellen I know show. who you're talking about. He, he has a British accent. Guy. Yeah, that's Tony. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Tony, Tony was really good friends with my girlfriend, and she had gone to New York to go and visit, and they grew up in England together. Uh huh. And she was like, come out here, you know, like, Tony wants to meet you, fly out. So I came out, and uh, at that time, Tony Caramanico was always bugging me, you know, to come to New York. He's like, you've been everywhere, you've never been to New York, you haven't been anywhere. So he <laughs> because you've been everywhere, but you haven't been to New York, you haven't been anywhere. Yeah. You know? And then I went, and, uh, I didn't go to the city first. I went to Montauk. 
she came out and stayed with me. And um, actually, I didn't even go to the city on that trip. I just stayed in Montauk. Huh. And that was my first experience with New York. And then I went back, because on that trip, I met this guy, Jack Luber, who did Soul Kitchen and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know? and, uh, and when I came back, I think it was in, later in the year, the beginning of 95, I started to stay with him. And that was when Soul Kitchen was kind of coming to an end. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it was I, like I phasing to, out. I got to catch all the Soul Kitchens and got to catch like the giant step parties and some of that stuff. But it was kind of phasing, you know? Mm -hmm. It was kind of going to an end. But that was my education for all the hip-hop stuff. So I got to listen to... Frankie's music and, and Sky Jewels and a handful other DJs and still Belinda and Bonnie. And it was just, that was like, I mean, that was like, that was the height I know of like being there in New York when that happened. That was like when every week, like two, three tracks were coming out that yeah, everyone cool. was so hyped. Mixtapes. Yeah. Do, you know, it was really cool stuff. And Brooklyn still had mixtapes. And uh, it was rad. No, it's a good, I mean, it's the golden era. I mean, that's, that's like what my shtick is about. Um, and I'm glad you got to experience it and you appreciate it. Well, I went for the surf, though. It wasn't yeah. for the hip-hop. Hip-hop, the education came through the surf. The surf was the reason that I went. When I went and I got to see that the waves were there, it tripped me out. I didn't realize there was any waves in New York. I had friends that had gone before and told me, you know, but I didn't pay any attention to it. Then when I got to see the whole setup and, and how it was, it, it kind of became like a private escape because there was no one there. Yeah, no one was surfing at that time. Well, there were people locals, don't get me wrong. There were yeah, yeah, yeah. Locals in Montauk, but not this level that no you have one was now visiting. in New York. You didn't have people going out there to go vacation and, you know, events and different shit. Surf industry parties. And yeah, well, I mean, I remember going to Montauk as a kid. Like, I'm talking 10 years old for fishing reasons. And that was like a ghost town. Like, no. What was it saying? A drinking town with a fishing problem? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wait, I was like, a drinking town with a fishing problem. problem. Yeah, 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 I used yeah. to go out there when I was a kid with my dad because we... I grew up fishing out there and so for me to see like as I lived there like people are like oh you surf out here because my um, I couldn't believe it because my ex-girlfriend's dad he's one of the Rockway kids from the 60s uh -huh. like Tommy he's like Tommy Senna's best friend like blah blah so like I, era. yeah so I learned from those guys but I never knew there was anything out out in Montauk and then like I randomly hear about people going out there and I'm like like really and then now like this last trip we went last week like it was a trip for me to be in Brooklyn. Yeah. Okay, we rented this Airbnb in Fort Greene. We're in Brooklyn. I, my wife's like, go to Bodega and go get something. So it's like three blocks away. On that three-block walk, I saw three cars with boards strapped on top. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, are you... Like, this world, even four years ago, didn't exist. Yeah, like, no way. It's kind of... I mean, it's awesome to see. There's a part of me that's like... I, <laughs> it bothers me a little bit because... I didn't start surfing until I moved here because I was like yeah. one of those kids like, uh, I, don't, I don't really dig it here. Um, but it's just, I think it's good. I think it's kind of awesome. But it's also like the one thing I've heard, it's like gotten like, just like anywhere else, it's going to get crowded. Well, everyone's getting crowded. There's more people on the planet. I mean, you can't really complain about the crowds because it's just inevitable. There's yeah. just more and more people that happens. And obviously, with, you know, with social media and global communications and people being able to look at stuff via their phone, nothing's a secret anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. It really is nothing a secret. So... It is what it is. It's still cool. I remember being in Hawaii one time, and this old local guy, we were in a car, and this other like local guy was going off about all the howies and all the stuff, and da 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 da. And the one guy that was driving is kind of heavy guy, you know. And he was like, "There, he thought it's still beautiful out. It's nice, right? Shut the fuck up." <laughs> <laughs> he was like, "He goes, you can't stop change. Just deal with it." And I remember I was like driving, and I go, "Wow, that stuck with me forever," because I was kind of like. Because it came out of his mouth, and there really wasn't a lot to say. You yeah, know, you're like, okay. kind of like, stop it. Because it really put, it put things in perspective, you know? No, it's funny that you say that. I saw, for my last trip to New York, like, I went to the bodega that, that night, and then, like, 
the fact that my bodega that used to sell like dime bags and Lucy's now sells kombucha and juices yeah, I was like fuck and my wife's like Alex this is just that the world is how I was like you're right I gotta you let this go well and it's for every generation <laughs> I, whenever I start to get grumpy I imagine for the guys in the 50s that went yeah. to the 70s like they were super bummed got super proud of the 70s to the 90s guys were bummed you know, every 20 years you get a new new birth of grumpiness just because of the, the population growing but you just deal with it, it, yeah. it New York's always going to be special I was thinking about that the other day regardless of how expensive everything is whatever it's still going to be cool it's always going to be a, a hotbed for cool stuff so yeah. and luckily there's surf there now I mean there's always been surf but the community and the culture you know I mean even in, in uh, Rockaway there's like a beach club you know yeah which is cool like I, I love I, it's funny because one of my friends is looking to invest in property, right? And she's like, I don't know what to buy, blah, blah, this and that. She's like, the funniest thing is, she's like, there's a bunch of people buying stuff in the Rockaways. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, well, I was like, if you're cool with it just being rentable in the summer, knock yourself out. But yeah. it is pretty awesome that they have the Rockaway Taco and like the Beach Club and that whole thing. Well, I mean, there's, I, there's waves all year there too. Yeah. I mean, there's a little wave even when it's like flat. Still yeah, the winter is the best there. Yeah. I mean, but... It's great waves there, so... I mean, I love the photo of like Joey... Uh, Joey Ramone with like his single fin, like those photos. Like, for me, it's like I look at that and I'm like, okay, this is pretty cool. But my first time in Rockaway in the '90s, dude, compared to when I went now. I mean, I remember walking down the beach with Lisa yeah. and all the girls, and like, like, where am I going right yeah. now? It was just like, it was like international beach. Yeah, that was the best way to explain it. Yeah. You had every kind of family down there. Oh yeah, just like. Doing their thing, obviously surfing was no way anywhere no, in their spectrum no. of like an activity. No, but it was just cool. Lots of Puerto Rican flags touched. Oh yeah, of course. Like, just cool shit, you know. It was really. That's cool. the one thing I do miss about New York. Like when we went this last time, like you know, we lived in Fort Greene, and there was there used to be like people who would just like post up their barbecue grills like on the sidewalk. Yeah. And cops wouldn't give a of shit. Of course. And I had guys when I go to the water would come and be like so puzzled that I was going surfing. Oh, yeah. you know, what, are you, what are you going out there with that thing? You know, I'm like, yeah, I'm going over there. Well, the funny thing is at, one, at Beach 116th, there used to be a, a half pipe. Oh, I never saw that. That's well, no, that's like when day. I was a kid. When I was like 14, it was like a like I'd be a mex when I was like 12, 13 years old before I skated. Yeah, and I mean, they had a half pipe and it was for all the guys who like surfed and like they wanted something else to do and they built this like half pipe trying to keep some different culture other than the surf stuff yeah except it got burnt out but spe- <laughs> speaking of uh, social media so I guess I mean you said it I guess uh, what Kelly Slater blew up the internet he broke the, broke the internet yesterday jeez so this wave pool thing huh? pretty cool um, I mean it's there's really no way to complain or say anything bad about it it's totally sustainable I don't think he uses much electricity. It's all reclaimed water. It doesn't re- leave a lot of room for anything negative. You can't really say anything negative because it's he just created one of the best waves in the world. I do know that, I mean, originally I think the idea was a Greg Weber concept. Uh-huh. Greg Weber was a surfboard shaper in Australia that, that originally came up with the blueprints for it. He was showing it to people about 20 years ago. I saw him in Australia when he was showing it, and I think Kelly saw it around the same time. And, you know, Kelly obviously went and did his own thing based off of what he saw kind of deal. But to think that a surfboard shaper was able to come up with the basic blueprints to build that is yeah. pretty cool. I mean, they've always, for the since the beginning of time, been pretty famous at tinkering with stuff and, like, coming up with inventions. But mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, surfboard shapers can be a little strange. And yeah. it's hard to get the attention of everybody to kind of pay attention to what right. they're doing. Um, I know when Greg was showing around, a lot of people were kind of writing him off, like, eh, whatever. Yeah. Because there have been other attempts at wave pools, and obviously, from the first one that was Big Surf in Arizona to the Ocean Dome in Japan, they tried 
to the Wave Garden ones that are in Europe, even those things are super cool, but they're not in any way comparable to what was no, I mean, used the, and given to the public yesterday. It's like not even a, there's no comparison, right? I mean, the thing looks insane. Like, it's like kind of crazy. I've been watching it all morning. I mean, yeah. my son's been watching it, asking me about it. There's Tosh. Kelly Slater's way full. Oh, yeah. <laughs> pretty cool, right? It's pretty insane. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to. And now they have it where it's moved, they can make it a left or a right. Yeah, I mean, like we're saying, for the Olympics, that would be the best possible scenario, especially for people to watch it. Oh, God, it'd be cool. Rather yeah. than, like, being heartbreaking if the waves are terrible. No, and, 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 and just, that's why I think it's a better thing. And 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 you brought up, like, it's an even playing field, right? Totally even playing field. Everything has to be the same, the same wave. In order for it to be an Olympic sport, it has to be equal for each people to, each person to compete. So, really, I mean, I don't like the Olympics. I think it's lame as can be. But yeah. if that's what they get to perform on, there really isn't a lot of bad to say about it. You know what I mean? The other thing, like we were saying, it's not going to be like some kook is going to come from Minnesota with a wave pool and stuff no. like that. You're going to have to still learn to ride in the ocean and time wave yeah. and timing and all the different things before you're able to go to that perfect wave and surf like that. I mean, that's that's the truth. That wave ain't going to be that easy to surf. No, no, I don't think so either. For the average person. You know, I watched some stuff wing that. He was having a really hard time getting the tube, you know? So what I'm getting at is it takes some skill to yeah. like... Wing that's a really skilled surfer, but... It takes some serious skill to ride that thing. Do you, you think know? you could have like a, a fun longboard contest on that? Well, I do know that they can alter it. I've seen it where they can do some different stuff, and it doesn't always have to be super hollow. I've seen other footage of people just kind of like turning on it. So uh -huh. I think that, that they can. I mean, I'm not sure. I could be talking out of my ass, but I think that they can. No, no, they can alter the bottom a little bit to do different things. And sure, they probably could. We actually, the guys from Vans went to the one in Texas to go check it out. Uh -huh. The possibility of having an event. I mean, and it's cool, but it didn't work out. You know. Mm -hmm. Because that's that one in Austin that, like, they closed down. The weird down. long pier one, there's, like, a left that peels down the one side and yeah, yeah. right on the other side. And they've had yeah. problems with that, though. They closed it down for a little while. And... I, I don't know. I mean, I've never been. I've, and I've never been to the Wave Garden ones. I went to Ocean Dome in Japan as a kid, and I checked that out, and that was incredible. But, I mean, what you had to wait in between the intervals between the rideable waves and the ones that were bumpy and shitty was just kind of, like, for what you had to pay to rent the pool for the day, it didn't equate. You know? Well, that's the other thing too. How much is it like for the everyday person? How much is it? I? I'd pay a thousand bucks to surf there for the day. Really? In a heartbeat. If I could have an all day, I'd pay a grand in two seconds to rent it out. One hundred percent. Yeah. I spent. I mean, I go down here and they took it out, but we used to go down to the Flow Rider, which was the closest thing yeah, for yeah. us, right? Yeah. And, it, and you get the shit beat out of you trying to ride that thing. Yeah. Like broken arms, the whole deal. People get carried out. Uh, I mean, it got closed because two people got crippled. Oh Jesus! So, you know that's. That was our closest thing to Kelly's deal, right? And yeah. that thing was incredible. I mean, I paid, you know, I pay a hundred bucks at a time to ride it, and yeah. I'd only get to go for an hour and something. You know well, I mean? there you go. Then that's so what I'm getting at. Yeah. And that's just just like standing wave that you get absolutely destroyed. It wasn't like some beautiful little, you know, uh, thing in Lenmore, whatever it is. No, I mean it's amazing looking, and I think it's it was funny how like it was showing up on random people's feeds. Like it would just like I remember. Uh, out, looking at Instagram yesterday and it was just like all of a sudden people's stories it's like this one that one blah blah it's still going on this morning yeah yeah there's still people showing it yeah, I, mean, I give him lots of credit I think it's cool uh, you know obviously Kelly's the perfect person to kind of like carry yeah. it out I mean he's the most famous surfer in the world anything that he does is going to be a, a good thing and, and he'll put it somewhere wherever they put it it's going to be busy I don't see people I mean shit you spend five grand to go to Tavarua right yeah. or more and there's a 50% chance you're going to get skunked or more Right? Yeah. So what I'm getting at is when you add up, I mean, it costs, I got invited on a boat trip this summer to Indo. It was like $6,500 when you add up all your boards and all your different stuff. Yeah, it can't, yeah. To go to every spot with a camp and 60 people, you know what I mean? So really, like, 
would you not spend twenty five hundred bucks for a weekend and, and uh, you know? No, when you talk, when you break it down to dollars and cents, and it's yours, and it's clean, and it's like every time <laughs> you're gonna drop in. Not dropping any gas in the ocean via a boat. Yeah, you know, I'm just saying it's. You know, I no, really, when you break it down to those mathematics, it totally makes sense. Like it's totally like okay. It's completely, it it's totally sustainable. And I, I look, I've had twenty four hours to think about this. I've been watching this stuff the whole time, and I, I'm, I'm not. You know, it's pretty amazing. It's crazy to think that it took that long to make it happen. You know, that like this, you didn't do it before, but wow, amazing. Um, so skateboarding, right? Yeah. So. Uh, you grew up skateboarding and surfing. So I grew up on the same street as Devin Howard. We all okay. grew up. I lived on Huggins. Devin was up off of the street that was like three blocks away, right? Down on the corner of our street was Floyd Smith. Floyd was Gordon and Smith. Floyd yeah. lived in the cul-de-sac down at the bottom. When we were all kids, they would take us out to GNS and we could buy brand new boards for like 20 bucks, completes, you know, out of the factory and put all the shit together. And that's how most of us all got our start in skating. And that was probably, you know, 84 so you started... 83, 82, 83, 84. I think Floyd moved to Australia by like 86 or 87 or something. And that's like that. when there was like like basically like Santa Cruz, Powell... Santa Cruz, Powell. I had a membership. TNC also made boards. My dad, well, my dad skated all throughout the 70s. My mom lived next door to Bobby Piercy in Claremont. So my parents, you know, grew up around skateboarding. So Bobby Piercy was like a famous skateboarder from here. And, uh, you know, my pop got us into skating. And then when Del Mar opened, because he, he used to skate at Oasis and all the different parks around here... When Del Mar opened, we got memberships. I mean, all of us, me, Devin, his brother, you know, that was like the spot that a lot of us would go. And because uh, we had half days on Wednesdays and Fridays, my mom would take us up there and spend the day. Remember in 84, this was a cool memory. Uh, remember when Halloween, when our own parents thought the candy was poison? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of parents didn't let their kids go out. Cause yeah. They were, like all paranoid people putting razor blades and yeah, yeah, needles and, and stuff. So yeah, yeah. My parents didn't let me go out, so they took us to Del Mar because it was open until midnight. And we get there. And Grant Britton is the check-in guy, <laughs> and he's dressed as an Iranian terrorist, dude. He had, oh, like, he had dynamite and a fucking This is the 80s. Because it was the 80s, he was doing that whole, I pull a Khomeini shit, you know, yeah. and like, uh, so he was dressed in this whole outfit, it was hilarious, right? And then we get in there, and there's two guys getting the keyhole, and it was Gator and his friend. And we all sat in the bleachers and watched. i never forget it, because he had an Argyle sweater with the sleeves torn off. He had black socks, and he had, I mean, it was like something out of a movie. He killed it. And I remember we got to sit and watch. And I got to watch a lot of like... A lot of footage days. you see of him is from there. He was... Well, that was his spot. Yeah. You know, when he was there that night, probably before he went out and partied. Yeah. Took some runs or whatever, but yeah. it was cool. That was like my highlight of the 80s stuff. And then I kind of took a break. It's funny you're wearing that shirt. I took a break <laughs> because what happened was the Boy Scouts bought the park. And they made it to where you had to be over 14. It was this weird age. You had to be over 14 or 15. Oh, and weird. I wasn't in that category yet. I was still a little guy in like the pre-teens. And uh, then in 88... I was at Malibu, and I was, you know, when you're that young, you have to drop in on everybody because you can't catch a wave. Malibu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, 12, you're, sorry. you're scratching, yeah. You have to catch a wave. I dropped in on Skip Ingram. Right? <laughs> yeah. I dropped in on Skip like two or three times, and, and he, he kicked out. He comes back, hey, kid, come here. And I'm like, I'm like, what, what? And he goes, you skateboard? I'm like, yeah, skateboard. <laughs> you know, he's like, why on Santa Monica Airlines? You know, I knew what it was. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, no way. And he goes, do you want some skateboards? And I was riding for Donald at that time and Astrodeck and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, please, I'd be stoked. You know, and he's like, okay, when you go and give me your address. So Skip started sending me skateboards in 88. And then I, you know, by the end of the year, I was kind of like on his team because I was skating a lot more. And then he kind of like facilitated my whole skate career. You know, I wrote for SMA. 
And then when SMA kind of went out, I wrote for Creature because my team manager at SMA was Russ Pope, who started Creature. Yeah. So he took me to Creature. I wrote for him for a little bit. Then I wrote for Santa Cruz. Then I wrote for Think because Stasek, Stasek was behind the scenes involved the whole time. I met Craig when I was 11 in the parking lot car. Oh, shit. And like he, it, behind the scenes kind of like played my whole skate career. Like he was the one that told Skip to give me shit. You know, I didn't know the whole deal. And, and then like when I went, when I was at Creature and when I was at Santa Cruz, I'd see Craig, he would come with me. Like I'd drive him to Santa Cruz, he'd come with me up there. We went one, one year for the, the Greg Knoll event. We drove all the way up, did all the, like went to Thrasher, did all the shit. You know, he took Did me the around. rounds, high speed. Pretty rad. He took me around, made sure I met Fausto. You yeah. know, like did all, I think I was 16 or 17. Wow. When I went up. I drove him in my Bel Air. He went up and, and did all the rounds. And then, uh, and then when I rode from Thick for Think, that was in 96 to, or 95 to 90. 98 and 97. Was that when BC was on the team? No, that was when Greg Carroll ran the company. Greg Carroll and and, and, uh, and Don Fisher. And, and, and Jehovah was on the Jehovah team. Jehovah was on the team with Phil Shaw and Mike. Right. I was there through the whole heyday of Think. Yeah. And they were they wanted to get in on Sector 9's lucrative money that they were making, right? Oh. So they came into me and they were like, hey, Joel, I know it's like taboo and antichrist, but we want to make a longboard skate. You know, will you do it? And so I did it. And... Uh, you know, they were, like, paying me and shit. It was great. You know, at the time, I was making royalties off of it. Oh, nice. We were selling a lot of them. Yeah. And, and uh, it lasted for a couple of years, and then it just, you know, think went out of business. Think went under. Yeah. And I kind of stopped. They tried They tried doing that, um, what did they have? They had that other company, the city or something. Oh, I can't like, remember. Because it was, like, think, and then they started, they, they, they ran Skate Mafia, which is down here. Oh, now. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was, like, think, Skate Mafia, and then there was this thing called the city, and it was like Russ Milligan and these guys. It's funny, Smolik and I went to school together. Oh, you did? They were really good friends. <laughs> oh, okay. He's a trip. Smolik and I are very oh. good friends. It's some Claremont Pride shit. goes way back. Oh, I used to go. drive his ass around. We didn't have a license to go skate. Yeah, because so. he's not even involved with like skate yeah. mafia anymore. Like, yeah, I, I but Smolik's a man. You know, San Diego skate community is really small. Yeah. And at that time, we all went to school in Claremont shit. He kind of showed up out of nowhere and was super good. Yeah, I mean, he could, I mean... This was pre-Shorty's thing. It was a big pants era. Oh, yeah, yeah. Big pants. I mean, you Little look girls. at some of his video parts from back in the day, like some of them, like, he's doing switch shit that people still are not doing. Oh, Pete was so good. He's still super good. Yeah. You know, but he's just funny. Yeah. yeah. But that was, that was our best skater. So you always had, like, skating kind of in the background. I always skated, and I was always something I took everywhere with me because you could, you know, when the surf shitty, you could always skate. Yeah. And, and, you know, through SMA, I met a lot of skate dudes. I met Andrew Curry... I met a lot of dudes in Europe when I went to Japan. You know, the the Think guys took me everywhere. I have a lot of really cool memories of skating in Japan in the early 90s. Oh, nice. With, like, the, the Think guys and the, you know, Santa Monica team. Dude, it was pretty cool. I had some, some cool skate memories, you know. And then I ended up meeting, you know, I met Danny Way down here when I was 16 because he surfed. Yeah. Markovich when I was, like, 15. Markovich used to loan me because we, we both had long hair. He was a few years older, so I would take his ID to get into bars and, we'd together, <laughs> and he would go through the line first and then like come back out and hand me the ID and then I'd come back in with his. Dude, his his like GNS stunt part is like one of my favorite parts to watch. Oh, uh, still. Chris is still I mean he's still still he's so good. He's had the funniest thing about him and his career, he or whatever you want to call it, he's had so many different eras of his skating that's insane. Like like you look yeah, at it like so from like good. like foundation all the world companies he was on like every yeah. week every month he was like we would watch it from the east coast and be like okay so what world company is he on t- this week <laughs> like it was like every week he was like I'm on 101 no I'm on this one yeah no, he this one. A lot, like, but he still skates so fucking good I mean god he's still shredding I think he just started a new company um, uh, Taken yeah I think that's what it's Something. called he just started a new one so that's cool yeah I keep up 
I mean, for me, it, it's funny. He was always like, I loved his style. He had the best, like, that era of like him doing south flips to fake on mini ramp, like the like, so like all that shit. He was just really fast. He was yeah. like one of the first guys to go like ninety miles an hour. You know, yeah, like all that stuff he was doing now, like Carlsbad Gap and all this stuff. And I remember my friend Gino when he first came out here, like in ninety two. Um, I think they were on one one at the same time. No, no, yeah, uh, they might have been or Gino was still on black. But anyway, they were all skating together. It was like Chris, Dill. Gino and they went and skated the cross. Those guys. those guys were all after like my time a little yeah, bit, yeah. you know, like because I am probably a little older than them, but I mean I was just no like, actually you know what we're the same age we're like 40, yeah forty two okay yeah, yeah. that's probably Gino's right. my age forty three like, yeah that's right okay that sounds all right because Danny's forty four because he's yeah. two years older than me we're all like in the kind of that yeah Chris se- is forty four too seventy two to right. seventy six yeah yeah that's yeah. right that's really right that's cool. yeah but he told me like when he he actually had footage because he was filming something over the Carlsbad Gap and Chris was there and he. They were filming him at the same time, and he brought it back to New York, and I was like, "Holy shit! This guy is going so fucking fast! Yeah. It is like insane!" And then to think about that, he was going so fast on like thirty-nine millimeter yeah, wheels, tiny ass wheels and big pants. And I'm like, time. "How are you yeah. pushing that quick?" Chris surfed too a little bit. Does he? He wasn't like the be- you know he didn't surf a ton, but he surfed a little bit. Danny surfed more. Yeah, because I mean, Danny had that surf. Accident. That was how we all knew those guys because they would surf a little bit, so they had some kind of like a. a Without being too corny and supporting surfing, they all surfed a little bit. You know? Yeah, I'm, I'm noticing it more and more that it's like, you know, look, I can, I'm coming from surfing from the skating world, right? And it's like, I can't really skate as much as I want to, and it's... But when you, when you think about it and the skate stuff, like, there's there's like, what? There's like four guys that are super pillar. Gonzalez, yeah. Neil Blender, yeah. right? Who else is on that, like, category of creative, I, cool... I mean, I always put Nottis and Gans together. Yeah, Nottis, sorry, Nottis, Nottis. Yeah. yeah. And then who else? See, it's hard when you get into those, like, who are you going to put? Because the Bones Brigades guys all kind of fall into the same little Yeah, group, Tommy so and all You can't, like, that. pull them all out because they're all, like, in their own little deal. But, like, Neil, I feel like Neil and, and, and Mark are kind of, like, the two guys. You yeah. Know what I mean, that influenced everybody the most in this current group, you know? Yeah, yeah. For sure. And Neil, especially in the artistic sense, when you think about, like, all the stuff that he's done is it's crazy. It's crazy. You know, when when this is a funny story, when Dan Reynolds first started riding for bands, um, you know, he doesn't he didn't know me for Adam, so it didn't really matter. But I you know, he was making a ton of money. And uh, Yeah, his contract <laughs> making a ton of money. Yeah. And he went to a Neil Blender art show. Uh-huh. And he didn't know who Neil was. And um, <laughs> well I don't think he had any idea. And I made a joke to him. I said to him, I go, you know, if you're smart, you pay for everything in this room right now. I go write a check right yeah. now and buy every piece in here. Because the overall price, I remember when we were done, I think Neil made like maybe a couple grand off of everything uh-huh. or whatever. And I was just saying to him, like, dude, if you're smart, like as an investment, I said, you should buy everything right now. And I go, and also, it was like, cool points, it would be huge for you. Oh, yeah. If he came in and bought this whole room, I go, you should do it right now. And he didn't buy anything. Oh, my but God. I, I kind of like, I, I remember saying like, God, I wish you would have bought the whole thing just for the sake of like preserving it. And it would have just been one more thing for Neil that would have been cool. Dude, he made lamps. There were lamps in there that he had poured cement molds. He was selling for like $100. Are you serious? I bought a painting for 60 bucks. That's what I was getting at. I'm trying to say, like, there was stuff in there that was like... I love all his stuff. I mean, I love... For me, it's... First of all... 60 bucks. Dude, I bought a cabinet door that was a painted face. He had, like... he, You know, and his stuff's so crazy. The shit that he paints is so unique and, like bizarre and, and, and ironic oh, wow. almost. It almost, like, takes... It makes fun of everything. Kind of yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, think about it, like... What is that one, like, when they had, like, one of the first, like, street contests, like, he's skating around, 
and then he just pulls a spray, uh, spray can out of his pocket and then just paints yeah, something on the wall and then like walks away and I'm like that's his artwork like to me like that's and that was video parts where he's just like fucking around with him and Lance and they're like well I would off. see the stuff like Vans would give him like a, a you know they would not tell him what to do but they would give him like an outline of kind of what they were looking for and all the stuff that he would deliver was just like scrolls of drawings yeah. like all rolled up and it would be the exact opposite of what you asked for because that's what it, that's how no it but that's I, I mean he birthed an alien workshop and all that yeah. stuff which is like kind of like but his drawings and his sketches are so cool you know because yeah. you look at all the stuff and it's got something kind of like very uniquely his I mean it's obviously he's seen stuff from other artists but yeah no but it's his stuff it's I mean, hard to find guys in the surf world that are that creative you know I mean I saw last time I was in the Outer Banks there's this like coffee shop there and they have an original GNS coffee break board on oh, the wall and I was cool. like showing it to my wife I'm like no you don't understand like that is something I would probably sell our child for yeah, <laughs> like, I'm like had, that it's like some cool stuff um with skating and surfing and all that stuff, one thing that's kind of, I think, a part of the culture too, and you touch on it a lot, is like marijuana in the background. So Okay, so it's always been the, the evil stepchild, no one wants to be Spicoli, they're always trying to avoid this image, right? And my whole thing with it is, it's beyond the pot smoking, right? Everybody yeah. always like, oh, you're gonna get high, fuck, that's just one part of it, right? Yeah, you can get high as shit. But what's the sole purpose of alcohol? Yeah. What is the sole purpose of it? Because it has no health benefits whatsoever. No. You can pull the whole like heart, oh, wine's good for your heart, so is weed. Yeah. Okay, so smoking a joint does the same thing for your heart rate. So that goes right out the window. My whole argument is for years we've allowed them to come in and advertise. And you know, it's funny, the duct tape's probably going to be sponsored by Jose Cuervo next year, <laughs> which is so funny because we were in the middle of the negotiations when all that stuff happened with Stab. And you have to remember, Stab, I love them. But it's a gossip magazine. Yeah, so obviously yeah. they're going to look for a title to run to gain interest to get comments. Like that's the whole thing is to start a war with comments and get people to fucking pay attention to it. They've been like that forever. Surfing world, or not surfing world, but surfing life, you know, yeah. like different ones in Australia. They love all the, they like the gossip. Yeah, like yeah. That's what they strive off. I love Stab because they're actually supporting Longboard stuff, so it's great. But you have to remember with anything that they put out, they're they're trolling for, no, for comments so to get course, back. They yeah. want it back, right? Yeah. So. What I had originally said to him was somewhat in the article, but it kind of got overshadowed with the like marijuana fucking alcohol thing. What I was getting at is if you're going to open the door for the one, we might as well open the door for them because there's no limit on the amount of money they're about to make in the next 10 years globally. Yeah, it's a big business. And when you think about how many businesses survive off of alcohol solely like restaurants, dude, you know what I mean? There's yeah. so many places that they, they live off of that portion of it and all they're doing is selling people get fucked up. At least with the marijuana portion of things, right? When you look at the hemp industry and bioplastics and cleaning up the earth and getting us off of like plastic dependency and oil and all these different things, there's so much positive towards it that that stupid negative part about getting high like overshadows all of it. And people are always like, okay, Spagoli, you're gonna save the world with a weed leaf. Like, it's, it's not, it's not No, that, and it's so you know? weird, to your point, it's so weird because like you're saying, and I agree with you, is that alcohol is basically like, it kills more people than cigarettes. Yeah, and it you are selling it on like having a good time and like you know letting go like you know, those freight right. So here's the thing, it, it's all in the wording almost right. It's like they they dub getting drunk. They have these phrases for it that are so innocent right. It's like oh I need to unwind. Yeah, yeah. Dude. But for pot it's like you're getting stoned. Gateway drug, you do yeah. this, dude. Marijuana does not make you climb into a bathroom and sniff cocaine. No. Okay. <laughs> Alcohol does, and it's always been the one thing for me where I'm like, is this shit real? Are these people not going out at night and they're like studying what's happening in bars everywhere? 
Because that's not that's not the case. It's, it's how it's, they're it's how they're like how well, it's they're reefer packaging. madness propaganda, and yeah. it's like still happening today. And and we're in an era now where it's like I have a friend who serves Malibu, my buddy Ron, who actually just went to the hemp summit thing in Kentucky or wherever it was. Uh-huh. And I asked him before he went. I said, because I've been dicking around with with uh, with Arctic phones, we give me algae blanks. And I remember Jim Banks made a hemp board like twenty years ago. Right? Really. And I asked. I said, just when you're there, look into fiberglass made of hemp for me. You know what I mean? See if you can find it. Look into different things. You know, see I mean, it would make do. sense. Or, you know, bamboo or something. There's always different ways. I mean, we can draw for that for the surfboards to get us off of using fiberglass and different things. I'm just saying, open the door for these guys to be able to come in, not with selling weed, but selling the hemp side of things, the CBDs. It's the same as aspirin. It's the same as Bayer or any of the other shit. You yeah, know that's I mean? the, one, the one thing so I've heard. Let's open the door for that. Not for getting high. I don't yeah. want to see some fucking thing with yeah. some guy smoking a joint when he gets out of water for kids. That's not the case, and that shouldn't be it at all. But the CBD companies, the the you know bioplastics, like different things, those are the things that I was getting at. Let's be the ones to back it. Surfing is the one thing that everybody wants to do that they can't. Yeah, and, and it's also in the in the sense of if anyone, if any, if you wanted to say the term industry is going to do it, it should be us. It should be us, and it should be an industry that and people that are on the forefront of stuff. Like well, surfers usually tend to be like, like I forgot who said it, but like. Surfers were into healthy eating way before healthy eating became a trend. You know yeah, what I mean? I've been a vegetarian for 20 years. Yeah. So, see, <laughs> no, there you go. See, it's like, it's like, why wouldn't it, and I agree, you know, 100% with your argument. You know, it's like, or, or what you're saying. nothing stand. to do with getting home. Yeah. And That's I, why I was so pissed off at the article, because I was like, God damn it, this isn't what I'm getting at. I was yeah. saying, like, we need to just, like, enable these people through Weed Maps, these different guys, because they're trying to open the door to put all these different companies on the map to sponsor it. Like, to be able to, like, it's just more money to help the companies. Well, they need to make money. I mean, at the end of the day, like, that's that's their thing, right? Yeah, they're trying to, well, they're just trying to put it different places because it's, you know, it's a different era. I mean, in, in 20 years, it's going to be legal nation, like, everywhere. Yeah. So you kind of have to be prepared for this stuff. Well, and it's almost like, I think I think on the, on the financial end of it, right? I don't think, how do I explain this the right way? It's like an industry that almost like they're not prepared for mentally. But you see companies, like for instance, like, okay, like cigarette companies, right? Like cigarette companies have the most to benefit from marijuana going legal because it's like, hey, we have these factories that produce this stuff already. We just got to put something else in there. Well, typically you say that because my buddy Ron was telling me that the tobacco growers in the Midwest are overgrowing tobacco because of all the chemicals. Yeah. Like it's killing people. Like even the guys that have the growth, they got to wear suits. Well, tobacco is to go and spray, spray the fields. So what he was getting at is a lot of them are also realizing that they can't use the soil again because you spray all the shit to the and ground. And You can't reuse it. You have to keep like redoing yeah. stuff and pouring more and more shit. The only way to get that stuff off the ground, and I'm not spouting bullshit. This is the part that I get mad at. I was like, this guy's high as shit. Yeah. Dude, take some time to everyone out there. Read up. Buy The Emperor Wears No Clothes. This book's been out since the 70s, yeah. okay? And that'll give you the basic blueprint of what can happen and what's the potential with him. It's wide open. And, and what he was getting at is with all the growers wanting to, to get out of it, this opens the door for them to like stop it and start something new. Yeah. So why not be the guys to, to push it? This isn't well, hopefully they high. will. I mean, hopefully it's not they're... about getting high. I'd like to get high. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I like smoking joints, but that's not what I'm pushing. No, and of course. I think that's the thing that's great about a company like Weed Maps. Like, the more people that I hear from that are involved with the company, whether it be you or skaters and stuff, the thing that's interesting they're bringing up is like, you know, it's not about like just like smoking, getting high. It's like the CBDs. Like instead of taking an aspirin, 
why not take you know you see something natural take yeah. some little different don't take some shit made in a laboratory yeah and I agree with that a hundred percent like like and it's and then it creates this new industry right like it gets us like for all these farmers right they're always like complaining about like oh we don't have anything to grow we're not making enough money you're gonna make a lot more money on growing hemp then you are gonna do soybeans. Hey man, in Hawaii, there's a scary thing on the North Shore. They're actually the, all the land is is being zoned now for condos. Where? All the shit going down out into the North Shore. All of that land on the sides. Was I thought that was all protected. No, it's not protected. It's all being zoned out. And what? I mean, it's it's not funny because that shit's gonna get bought. You know, eventually it's gonna get bought. Someone's gonna do something with it. It would be really neat to see, I mean, this is just a dream, but it would be nice to see because Hawaii, I mean, it's no secret, they have the incredible climate for growing pot. I mean, like yeah. some of the best because it's all volcanic ash, yeah. volcanic soil, they have sunlight and rain all year, so, and, and the humidities, these are all really plus. You can pretty much try. If you're trying to grow wheat, it's a great thing to do. Yeah. If you're growing hemp, it's like a dream come true because hemp is just a giant wheat that grows like crazy. Yeah. How beautiful would those fields be if they were all hemp? Do you know what I mean? And it's Hawaii a, got behind the hemp movement, became like, you know, the the industry standard for you know the rest of the world to like look at as as being a sustainable place to grow the shit. And it has nothing to do with growing weed. I'm talking about growing hemp. I mean, I, I'm I'm sorry to divert a little bit, but like, for me, the thought that that drive could be condos, yeah, it breaks my heart. It breaks it, your heart because you don't understand. Uh, once or twice a year, that drive for my wife and I. It's like one of the biggest things. Yeah, all that shit's for sale, dude. Oh my god. All oh that shit's god. for sale. And then you got all these people right now that want to put a road around uh, Lani Ikea, right? Because of all the turtle traffic. And what you don't understand is you have to look at history repeats itself. When you drop one road in, another road goes in, and another road it goes in. It just keeps in, happening, yeah. And the grid keeps filling, yeah. right? And because it, it's their way of gridding it in. Boom, boom, yeah. boom. They can build off each side of the road and everything's connected. There's a lot of flat flat land in that hole over the top of the pineapple field that will basically go all the way to Waimea Valley. I mean, it'll easily go all the way yeah, over yeah. there. Like, right down and in. You don't want to open the floodgates for that shit. No, no. I like, mean, in no way at all. Yeah, I'm like, begging Jack Johnson. Dear Jack. <laughs> Jack, help us, dude. Get behind the hemp movement and let's try and fill those fields. I, I mean, for some, like I said, I'd much rather see that than condos any day. I mean... I would love to see Jack and Kelly get out there and raise a thing for awareness to one of their festivals or something. Because, I mean, they do all those Kakua festivals and different things. Yeah. At least, like, education and awareness for people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, beyond, you know, I mean, they're doing beautiful things now, preserving the land. Yeah. But I just, for me and for his kids and the kids beyond it, mm -hmm. I don't ever want to see houses put there. No, no. For, yeah, and I agree with you 100%. Look, like I said, that, I mean, we're going in, we count the days down. We're going in seven weeks. You know, for us, that drive is, like, for us, the best thing in the world. Let's, like, let's keep it the way it is. Yeah. You know? I know a lot of people are doing their best to preserve it, but, you know, like you're saying, it's it's population growth. There's only so much you can do. A lot of people want to go to Hawaii. It's beautiful, you know. So, yeah, they're saying if we could, if the meat <laughs> industry could get in, and the hemp industry would take it back, and, you know, some kind of involvement in, in getting some kind of a, a, you know, like what the sugarcane industry had there back in the day, it would be cool. Yeah. Be great for Hawaii. Or even with the, you know... But Dole, everybody moved to cheaper locations to make better profits, you know, which doesn't necessarily help the island. No, no, it doesn't at all. And this is one of those things, you know, already a lot of people there know how to grow. Yeah. You know, there's, They're a, already lot doing talent, it. there's a lot of talented growers yeah. on that island. It would be giving them an opportunity just to create a new job market, you know, a new place for work, which is pretty cool. Which I think is well needed there and stuff. And then it keeps know. the, the And again, it could clean up the island, getting them off the dependency of a lot of different things. I mean, it's... 
It's crazy when I have to explain to people that we can make oil and gas and all that shit. They look at me like I'm crazy. Yeah. Where, where have you been? Are you yeah. living in a cave? Like, what? Is, do you not know? Like, the Malloys I, made, you know, a movie about, like, a truck on file diesel. That was, like, ten years ago. Or yeah. Whatever. Like, you don't think you could do the same thing with this other shit? And obviously, everything's, it, in time, it's become, uh, what's well, worth for it? It's advanced in technology. Like, every year it gets better and better. So. Yeah, you hear about new things coming out all the time. I mean, I think, for me, it's like, I gave up smoking weed, I'm trying to think, 2000 four or six so maybe 10 years ago and um, I was with a friend we were surfing San o, we were camping up there and he's like oh I want to go and buy like a vaporizer or something and I was like okay let's go to the shop right and when I walked into the shop like so I haven't been around like weed culture in 10 years to see how much different stuff there was Oops. product like I was like I remember that I used to buy a blunt like in a bodega yeah. like I didn't know there was like lubricant for your like it, yeah, there's stuff for your cat. There's and I was like, dog. oh my there's... god, this is like insane. Like I was like, this is crazy. But for me, it's a good thing. Like I'm, it's a world that I welcome my daughter coming into. Yeah. Um, and I like you were saying, it's better than something produced in a laboratory. It's natural. It creates a new industry, which I think is, and it's starting to. I mean, look at all these like, like people who are like working at grow houses and all that stuff. It's I like have so many kids that are trimming right now. Yeah, and it's a great business. You can work. You can work your own hours. Isn't it, I? Someone was telling me the story that she, she went and worked at a trim place in NorCal, right? She went and worked there. I think it was something like two months. So she's basically on site two months or something. Yeah. And she walked away with something like like thirty five Gs. Yeah, a couple. Well, you can make well for a lot of the kids. Maybe if you're doing like big stuff, but most of the kids go up and they can make a couple grand just trimming or different different things. I mean, everybody knows somebody at some point now that's like growing. You like know, why and not? It's like the next thing. It's the gold rush here. You know what I mean at the moment. But yeah. I mean, like I said. The weed thing isn't about getting high, it's about environmental stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, an interesting thing, when I was a kid, being around all the longboarder guys, all the events had beer gardens, right? Yeah, yeah. Everyone had a beer garden. So at a really young age, I kind of was able to see the negative health benefits for people that drank. Being out of shape, do you know what I mean? Fight starting, acting like an ass, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Not being able to keep your, keep your shit together. Like, I got to watch that at 12, because I was the only 12-year-old there, competing against them. You know, so I kind of got a really good example of bad examples, like right so, on. So like put it in perspective. Well, just put it right in perspective, and I got to watch. I was watching people die. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, dude, Weber died. All these guys were dying in front of me, all from booze and from different shit. So, it was kind of like, well, and then you know, I met Jerry and all these other fucking really cool guys, and they all smoked joints. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. So it was kind of like, and they were still fit and yeah. still surfing and doing shit. And I was kind of noticing, I'm like, wow, so let's pay attention to the two schools of thought here. Yeah. Right? Which one's bad and which yeah. one isn't? Like, and I, I mean, in every way, shape, or form. I'm just saying it was like laid right out there yeah. for me. You know, which one's going to not make me perform tomorrow? Which one's going to, you know? Yeah. So I was able to kind of choose, and I didn't really get into any of that shit until I was 17. Yeah. I mean, I'd smoked before that, but it was like, look what the average 15, 16-year-old kid, you smoke occasionally or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. like. The first time I smoked weed with my girlfriend when I was 15, I spit water out the bong. And I didn't do it again for, for years until I got to Hawaii. Oh, bog water. Yeah, and I think <laughs> when, I, when I got to Hawaii, honestly, when I started spending my winters in Hawaii with the Hawaiians, and, you know, that was when I really started, like, smoking pot. Yeah. You know? But it never hindered any of my performance stuff. It never stopped. No, me I mean, look at, here's the thing. Look at it in, like, skateboarding. Like, in skateboarding, it's like... Everybody smokes weed. Like yeah. I mean, I grew up in that culture where it's like you'd smoke weed and then you go skate for like five hours. Yeah. You'd be like in total zone and like 
Well, you read like Thrasher Mag, like I was telling Scott the other day, my boss at Man, like, God, he's got an issue of Thrasher. And I was reading the Pro Spotlight, and I was like, how do they get away? Because it's just, the demographic's just kids, you know? Oh, and it's blatant. And I was it's just blank. like, the one article was like, so how many skateboards did you sell this summer? How much weed did you buy? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's like, it's what kids want to hear. When yeah. you're that age, you're trying to be rebellious and, and do the exact opposite of your parents. So, I mean, they're really catering to that, like, that group. You but know? it's so weird, though. Here's the thing. It's so weird that it's so... In surf world, it is just fucking taboo. Which is weird for me. So it's like so in your face in skateboarding, right? It's like so there. And then like in surfing, it's like, no, 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 no. Let's no, 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 but all the parents have red cups. Yeah. It's like, and they're no, drinking no, no. and they're doing all their shit or there's beer gardens or there's after yeah. parties or whatever. I mean, dude, I went to my son's uh, when he was at the elementary school up here. I went to the one uh, to parents night. Their parents walked around with glasses and wine and shit on the campus. Yeah. Can you imagine if I'd ripped a joint? Like, I would have gotten tackled and beat to death by the cops in San Diego. Yeah. If I'd pulled a joint, I would have made the nightly news, yeah. you know? But I got parents in their nice clothes walking around, hey, how are you? All drinking, getting yeah. buzzed and tipsy and shit. It's just, it's such a societal wrong, you know what I mean? Yeah. The way that one's viewed cool and one's not. That's just always been my thing. Like I said, at a young age, you got to see it. So I got to make the choice of which one wasn't. And I mean, all the cool experiences of like, you know, when I was 15, I'd stay with, with Buffalo Kailana, you know, and, and before I had my license, I remember, like, smoking joints with him and playing Millipede. And, <laughs> uh, I smoked a joint with Eric Burden one time when I was, like, 19 at Mike Henson's wife's fucking uh, uh, Thanksgiving party. You know what I mean? I smoked a joint with Pete Rock. <laughs> I smoked a joint with Everlast. Yeah. I smoked a joint with... Uh, Hold on, I have all these memories that are so cool from like like smoking joints with people. Uh, well, see, I you smoked a joint with Guru, dude. Okay, I went to an empty bar in New York. This is one of those like joint smoking moments. I was with a friend and I was with Lisa Cooper and we were carrying records. When you still carried records in crates, yeah. we went early to drop her shit off because she was throwing a party at this bar in New York. And we got there and the whole thing was like empty. It was like nine o'clock at night, and the only guy in the bar was Guru. And he was sitting in there and Lisa had a joint and thing. And she went over and started talking to him. She like start smoking it. We're all smoking. He had an all-white sweatsuit and a white Kangol hat. Like, I remember this shit like yesterday. You know what I mean? Like, that, there's all these moments of, like, cool, you know, I'll never forget any of that stuff. Like, and, I, and here's the thing. When you smoked with them, did you get into an argument? No. No, no you had a good time. Well, I, left, right? I, left, I left, like, adoring the guy. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, you were, like, like, friends after that. Yeah, I'm just saying. I, don't, I can't say I have those beer-shooting moments. With no, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, you go, like... If you met someone drunk, you always hear this story of like, oh, I was drunk when I met someone and it was a disaster. Yeah. You don't hear like, I share a joint with someone. Yeah, and it was, it was never like that. I left just kind of like, oh, this person's really cool. <laughs> yeah. So enough of the weed stuff. Enough we'll get of the, off weed, the weed, weed subject stuff. So um, okay. Let's talk about, I guess, uh, uh, surf surfboard shaping. So, I mean. Okay, so there's a scary part. We were talking about this the other day. So in surfboard shaping, where we're at now, as far as talented longboard shapers, we're down to about less than 15 on the planet. Right, and as far as talented glassers, we're down to talent pool is probably about twenty, maybe less. And that's all over the world. That's all over opinion. the entire world, and yeah. I know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. So you can't like tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. It's it's one hundred percent accurate. There's maybe a couple guys in Europe, maybe a guy and two guys in England, right? Got a handful of guys in Australia. You got about a handful of guys here. That's it, and you have a whole generation that don't want to learn. Like, you why? Try and te- I don't know, man. Kids don't want to learn. They don't want to have to work. I want to figure out if you can do it on the computer. See, know? for me, it's like it's funny because it's something that like I want to get into because it's like I find it being like the ultimate progression of the craft in a way. Well, in the shaping part, everyone wants to be a shaper. No one wants to start 
in the grub sweeping the gr- floors. No one wants to start and no one wants to pay their dues to learn all the stuff. Because I mean, usually how it works is like the guy that starts out as a shop rat then ends up doing fin boxes, then ends up doing hot uh-huh. coats, then ends up eventually you know polishing, then sanding, and and through all of those stages, you end up becoming really like. You know your shit. Yeah. And then when you actually pick the planer up, it's pretty easy because you've like put your hands on surfboards in every stage, so you understand the rails and how the stuff mm-hmm. works. And it's like it's not that hard to actually get the craft after that. That's technically how all the masters that are like, yeah, yeah. that are heroes now came up. That's how they got that good. Yeah. You know, a lot of guys jumping steps now because they want to get right to the well. They say like stage a, of like you know you cut all the way past it, and you can you can cut right past it. You can still be really good. But I'm just saying that old school mentality. It applies to not just like building boards, but building boats and building cars and building no, houses. No, of course. So that you have to kind of like learn all your shit. You yeah, I mean, like skip steps. There's there's that whole thing, I guess, now, like you see people who just like watch a YouTube video, right? They watch a couple of YouTube videos, they buy a blank from US blanks, they buy the supplies, they do maybe one class here and there, and they try to make boards. They're not learning all those little intricacies. To your point, like, like for instance, being a shop, like, I'm actually like, it's kind of interesting that you bring this up. Like, I'm there's someone that I want to be a shop boy for, and I'm 43 years old. Yeah. Like, I'm willing to do that. Like, yeah, I'm like, I'm, yeah, I'm like, I don't care. Like, I'll be around the shop because I forgot who I was talking to, Jack Zavala. Like, he was talking about like when he came up, like how he did the same thing. So that the fir- what you said the first time he went on a blank, all this osmosis from being a shop kid, from doing ding repair, all this stuff, all of someone he had the planer in his hand the first time. He knew what to do. Yeah, they always say that sanders make the best shapers. That's kind of like the, the, the common thing. Guys that sand are usually the ones that become really good shapers because they, they feel all your lumps with the sanding machine. So they can tell all the bumps and different stuff and they know how to make a rail without having lumps in it. Because ah. they can take their hand down it. Most people can't run their hand down a rail and feel all the lumps. Yeah. Sander sense. runs his hand down the rail and he's like, oh, dude, this guy's like the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. You know, so they, they can, they're, that's the one gift that they get. The same thing with polishers. Polishers... Their hands are they on see, board. Uh, yeah, they can feel like a little bump, it. and if they leave anything wrong, it sticks out. So those two guys kind of like, they get given the gift of, of, of feel if they decide to go and take it a step further. So do you think there's a lot of like longboards out there that are just like crap? There's a lot of shitty surfboards hiding, under, hiding under pretty glass jobs, 100%. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of stuff that like, you know, Donald's dead. Him dying kind of put a, a, there's no policing anymore. When he was around, he was the last one still of age and feisty enough that would still police posers. You yeah. know what I mean? And if he was around, you couldn't, you could, there was no, no, because there, there was no, you couldn't, you couldn't say shit because yeah. he would put you right in your place. With him being gone and only a handful of guys left, it kind of opens the door for a lot of self-promotion. A lot of guys that can filter the shit out of the pictures and make stuff look really mm-hmm. good, you know? And when you, Crazy see, it, when you see it in person, you can see all the air and all the other little fucking entropies and yeah. crap to the work. But, well, you know, to the average eye of the person who's just looking at it on a phone, they're like, oh, here's perfect. Like, and really, to the average person, they don't know. Yeah. You'd have to be a glasser to really look through it and see, like, if there's air in the lamination, how shitty his cut laps are. Uh-huh. You know, it takes a lot. You'd have to be in it. Like I said, it's like for us, because we're in it, we know. But yeah. to the majority, they have no clue. You right. Know? So, yeah, it can, it, can, it can be put out without people knowing. But to the core, they know. They could tell right away. They could tell right away. Yeah. But who cares? There's only a handful of us left, like I was saying. To the yeah. core that matters, what? There's like 50 of us on, on Earth. It doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. Do you think there's any new, like, are there any new shapers that you see coming out? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, look, I I get caught up in the older guys and the younger guys yeah. and all that. Yeah. But I'm kind of neutral because I have to be. Yeah. You know? 
I look at everyone's stuff and I appreciate the different work. You know, the kids from the duct tape, you know, like all of our little crew have all kind of become pretty good shapers over the last decade mm-hmm. because they've all, you know, had a decade to dick around. Birch, obviously, out of all of them, is probably the most talented from what I've seen. Uh-huh. It's just as far as finishing because he gets it and he surfs really well. You know, obviously, when you surf really well and you're riding your craft and making you it, make it's going to come out a whole lot different. He's also pays attention to stuff. I let him finish a couple of Wayne's boards uh-huh. off the machine for, for Nate and for. Uh, Lucas, and he was smart. He immediately went and started taking the fat out in places where he didn't need to have it, you know, because that's oh, the difference when you work on, that's why a lot of shapers don't like their shit being in racks or on other people's stuff, because people can go in and they can look, uh, and they can hold it and go, ah, that's why a lot of guys don't like sharing glass shops, you know what I mean? Oh. So Donald never let anyone put their stuff in his fucking place, because you don't want anyone to be able to do that, you know? Yeah, and t- then, touch and no It's just little things, because if you're a shaper and you put your own boards in and they're fat and thick, and then all of a sudden you put, you go over and you're touching... These other boards that are all foiled out, and you're like, wow, then you realize right away, you're like, okay, so I'm leaving too much foam in certain places and different things. And Ryan pays a lot of attention, you know. Uh, Tyler's starting to get good. Al doesn't shape enough to yeah. really, like, matter, because he just does his own thing. Ellis is super good at shaping, mm-hmm. but Ellis is from his dad, who's a super talented shaper. Right. So Ellis is, like, Ellis is gnarly. He's really good. Um, I catch Mitch Sermon, mm-hmm. Thomas, you got Eden... You know, I mean, they all can shape. Yeah. You know, and they're only going to get better. So you can't really critique their work too much because they're not going to, they've already kind of made a choice. They're not going to get better. And they're dealing with good surfers. So to knock their work is kind of pointless. Ryan Lovelace, another one over here, he makes cool shit. Yeah, um, he's making some really interesting stuff. I'm talking young guys. I'm sure a ton of my older friends just got mad at me right now. <laughs> and when I get phone calls like, how fucking dare you back those guys? Fuck. You know, yeah. but I don't care. I, I'm in my own world and that doesn't really matter. I think what they're doing is cool, and, and they're all pretty talented, and they're all in that same batch of new shapers. Mm-hmm. So I support it. It's cool. What about with your boards that you put out there and stuff like that? How, like, how do you, how do you, like, do you feel that you've mastered some of the shaping elements, or do you think you're still growing? Or? I suck at shaping. I'll okay. that real clear. Okay. I'm not a shaper. I never have been, and I'm not, it's not something I'm really into. Okay. Like Dewey Weber was never a shaper either, you know? Uh, there's plenty of guys that, you know, have had surfboard labels that have shaped boards that aren't the greatest shaper, uh-huh. but their business went on, they understood it, and, and knew how to kind of facilitate to keep the brand going. I know a lot about surfboards, a lot, probably more than the average person, right. as far as like a big, you know, overall picture. And a lot of times when I work with shapers, I just kind of inform them on little things that they don't know, you know what I mean? I mean, not that I can do it with the planer and show them the first hand, but just like standing looking at it, like, no, you got to take that out. You're leaving that shit too uh-huh. thick. You need to do this. You fucking do that. You know, and then afterwards, a lot of times you're like, "Whoa, I never thought of it like that." Yeah. You know, and that's that's through a lifetime. You know, I've been around it since I was twelve, dude. I was surrounded by Donald. You know, from twelve to I was gonna say, like, you could have I spent ten years under him. The, so like the best mentor you could it's have. It's hard to. It's hard to argue my upbringing. Yeah, yeah. Like I, 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 I learned from him. And, you know, from him, he basically, even when he let me go to go do my own thing, it wasn't like he let me go. He let me go with the knowledge of every surf shop in the United States. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Who it firsthand introduced me to, or at least the ones that sold longboards and in the world. Yeah. So he was like, okay, go do your own thing. You'll be fine. You know? <laughs> I'm like, letting you off fine. into the world. I'm letting you off. Go do your thing, little bird. I got to do my shit, too. <laughs> but he let me go with, like, an education on how to do it. 
yeah, which so was that was like kind of a, a yeah. So it wasn't like you just like out in the wild was like nothing. No, and at the time when we opened the when I had the brand, I had some success in the beginning for sure because it was like new for its thing. But you know, if everything when you're super hot at the moment, it takes a die down. Yeah, it takes a die down. It took a die. I started Cookbox. Cookbox was doing good. Got in some trouble, you know, legally over some other shit. Had to put that one under. And then I was always making my own boards on the side, but mm-hmm. just started doing it again. And it's funny, all the stuff that we made 20 years ago is now popular. Mm-hmm. All of it, dude. I mean, like, you know the Australian-style longboards everyone's on? Yeah. In 99, I went to Australia, and I bought a keel. Uh-huh. And I brought it back, and I copied it. It was the, the one of those things, right? And I, because, you know, I was always into Magic Sam, too. And yeah. I brought it back, and I made it, and... Uh, and actually, at that time, Gamboa was trying to get boards out of uh, Paul Gross. Like okay. The same. We were because bo- Gamboa. It's interesting. Gamboa wrote the same board uh-huh. that I brought back. He wrote it, right? Uh-huh. And fucking tripped out. And was actually trying to get it off the guy that I got it off of. But he was being so cheap. My my offer was better. Yeah. And uh, I got it. But off of us bold writing that board, our obsessions with the Sam like went about. He went and tried to get them from Wayne and from from Paul Gross, and then I got mine uh, made from Hank. I even took one to Mitch's surf shop, uh-huh. and they gave it back. Really? After like three months of it not selling, they gave it back. And they're like, sorry, this outline's just not working. People aren't interested in this. Yeah, now. You know? And I'm like, I was like, I was sitting there, I'm like, do you know how good this works? You yeah, know? now was, everybody's like. No no one wanted to hear it. Yeah. So I kind of get a kick out of like, now that everyone and their mom's on them, because it was like, dude, we were trying so hard to push that. But it was just, the audience is different. There wasn't a generation of kids like there is now. Yeah. But back then, they were all like seven. You know, now they're in their thirties. I mean, so now it's also they they want them, they can afford them. They yeah, it's them. different. It just wasn't a huge huge market for it back then. Everyone wanted nose riders or two plus ones. And yeah. Stuff, you know? so yeah, I I, I, I surf like that kind of outline now. I like, couldn't sell it. I couldn't do. I couldn't sell but it. But now everybody wants eggs. It. Eggs we always made and they always sold pretty good. But now they're like big. You know, they're making a huge comeback too. Yeah. It's always kind of like it's the missing length between the two. Not so much a, a hull, but just like egg style boards. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can kind of rattle them and everything. Um, They're kind of like good all-purpose boards. Fishes have always been a big deal, but I never really rode fishes. I rode twin fins. Yeah. You know, I rode twin fins the entire time because Donald never stopped producing. Yeah. He made them from the seventies all the way through the eighties into the nineties, always. And I always had a twin fin in my quiver from uh, when I was a kid till today. I've had one the entire time because he'd always give them to me. Nice. Like here, take this one, ride this one. You know, like, like all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I was listening to him because he had the same outline that he would make for Brand and those guys, and you know what he would what he worked with Ben Ipa and the lines would come over. He never stopped producing it. He always believed in it. He was like, yeah. oh, there's nothing wrong with this. Yeah, board. now they've made like a, like a big comeback. I think the thing that like a lot of people like them for is like, what's the term they use? Like, they're very skatey. They, well, in the tube, they work just as good as the thrusters. That's the other thing. They yeah. go faster. There's yeah. no back fin. No drag. drag. In 96, I wrote one of the... Surfer Magazine used to have a thing in Tavaro called the Tavaro Tube Riding Classic. Uh-huh. And they'd invite like Sean Briley and Poncho Sullivan and fucking Liam McNamara. I mean, they'd invite all the best tube riders in the world. And they would have it, they had it two years in a row. And Bradley won the first one, and then I got invited to the second one. Because I was riding longboards at Pike, and they wanted me to ride a longboard in the event, you know, if it got big. Yeah. So I went, I took two longboards, and I took two shortboards. And uh, I took a board that my brother shaped for me that was a 710, and I took a twin fin. I took a fish, a rocket fish, uh-huh. 96. Okay. And I got, I got third. I won the first three rounds on twin fin, right? Because it was like, you could, you can, the thing with twin fins is you can, you can stall them and slide sideways, and it won't uh, slip out, right? As where if you slide so sideways with a back fin, it goes boop, boop, and the board catches and goes the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. It'll like lock out and go the yeah. wrong way. As where like a twin fin, you can be up high and slide sideways, like holding your arm, and it'll hold. So that was always my argument when I was there. I was like, dude, I can sit longer in the tube 
because I have no back fin and I can slide sideways with it while it's draining because it's oh, kind of like an oval yeah, tube yeah, yeah. inside. Oh, I was able sense. to get longer rides. And then when I got big, I had to ride a bigger board. But yeah. That was a 96. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're making a hardcore comeback. Well, you got guys like, like uh, what's the kid's name? The Australian kid? Uh, uh, Torn Martin. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, he's so good. I saw that like video that came out recently where he's, he's just like killing good. it on he's it. So like good. it's so insane. Like I'm like, oh, he's my very God. very good. I'm a big fan. Yeah, <laughs> he's really good. So uh, women in surfing. I know it's like a big topic and a lot of people uh, talk about it and uh, have their own opinions. You've obviously with the duct tape invitational. I think one thing that's really cool is that you have like you know. Always about the girls. Well, yeah. we we would love to have a girls division, but it's just it's so much money I have to raise on top of the other one, mm-hmm. which we're actually. I think we're going to have an all-girls duct tape is kind of the plan. Like, no boys, just girls. Oh, that'd be really cool. So we're, like, working on it, trying to get it. You know, I try to explain to people, it's hard to borrow, like, $80,000. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that easy. And I laugh like, at people. Oh, I just want 80 dudes. Everyone's always got, they're always critiquing me and, like, telling me what I need to do and different stuff. And I always want to be like, hey, if any of you can give me 80 grand <laughs> we'll right do now, whatever you want. I'm not making a dime off of it. It goes all to the competitors right. and all the other shit. Then I'm all ears. Yeah. You know? Complain all you want. But until then, man, let me just do what little bit I can to try and help the next yeah. group. Because it's like anytime you do something, you're always going to have critics. Nowadays, because of the phone and shit talking is just instant, it's kind of out of control. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day, you kind of had to like, you know, deal with the, the, the responsibilities of what you said to people. You know what I mean? Nowadays, you can just like talk shit and it doesn't really mean anything. And, I don't know. I, I do these contests to like help people, you know, and and you still get a ton of negative stuff. But I mean, that has nothing to do with the girl stuff. But the girl stuff is probably the biggest. They're always trying to figure out a way to sell it. You know what I mean? Like, how do we sell more girl stuff? Because girl surfing's huge. You know, they yeah, have I, no I, way I, to I mean, sell it. They just need to kind of facilitate to it. Yeah, and, yeah. And, I mean, and it's build upon it to where people see it more. Yeah. And then it'll build itself, you know. But like, Trying to sell girls surf clothes is hard because girls are also unique in what they wear. You know what I mean? Because I watch this with like with brand stuff. They're always trying to like, how we do this, how we do that. And it's like that's a hard one, you know. Cause yeah, and I don't. And well, here's the other thing too. I think nowadays more than ever, people don't necessarily wear quote unquote surf clothes. No, it's kind of hard to like. You know what I mean? Like yeah, they do, but they don't. It's different. Yeah, they do, but they don't. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a. That's a hard one. That's not gonna work. It's underneath there. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'd love to. I mean, it's also how gnarly are they surfing now? God, dude, those are so good. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, I, I'm I'm lucky enough that I get to surf with Cassia like a good bit and like just be around her and stuff like that. Yeah, she's kind of a pivotal point when the girls' longboard stuff really started. Like her and Carla were always super good. Yeah. And and there were a couple other girls too. You know, Ashley Lloyd and. Uh, name which is rude of me because I should know Julie uh, like her Julie Cox uh, you know because there's like some OG chicks there were obviously girls before that but I'm just saying yeah. like, the current that group group kind of influenced a lot of young girls to get on longboards yeah you know? I mean there were obviously longboard girls from the 60s you know Joyce Hoffman Linda Benson and Mark Over. I mean, the name goes on and on, but a lot of those girls, like Cassie and didn't really get to see any of them surf, you know? Mm-hmm. They kind of had to do it on their own through watching, like, Farber and those guys. Yeah. You know? Like, really, like, their, their, their learning curve was, like, old salty dudes at Malibu. Yeah. 
which is kind of cool because they ended up having really good people to emulate and kind of copy. Yeah. You know? And then over time, Cassie, like, working on her craft and the other girls and Carla and all that, it kind of influenced a whole other generation of girls to kind of, like, pick up the craft stuff then. Because mm-hmm. prior to them, it was kind of like a older girl kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, Daisy and her generation of girlfriends, my girlfriend Daisy, and then they were the first ones that, like, the surf brands kind of jumped onto yeah. to, like, sell, you know, the yeah. image of, like, young surf girls. But Cassie then kind of gave them, like, a longboard look that yeah. sort of, like, carried it to a different Yeah, I mean, it's... Different so, sect. Well, it's know? interesting. It's getting... It's, it's, it is... I see it getting bigger, and I see mainstream companies sometimes... They're slowly starting to catch on to it. You know, like, I'll give you an example. Like, my wife... Um, she's the head of PR for all beauty products for Johnson Johnson in the U.S. Oh, cool. Yeah, and like I'm always like I'm always like I was like you gotta get this girl like you guys gotta do something with this girl and blah 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 and I remember like two years ago when I bring it up with her she's like look there's no way they're gonna do it like I'd love to do it like my wife loves surfing she surfs she's like I would love to do it this would be my thing and that was two years ago and then this year like I brought I bring it up every couple of months I'm like you got blah blah this person and then they're like yeah, we're kind of thinking about maybe we'll do something. I told her to rethink it. I wrote for Tylenol, which is owned by Johnson & Johnson, for like two years, and it was epic. <laughs> there? It was the, whole, the whole campaign was called Ouch. Oh, was it? And Tobin Yellen shot it all. Tobin shot Tobin it? Tobin shot it all. Oh, my God. So, you know. I love Tobin. I was to Johnson & Johnson. I went to their offices in New York and like, oh. the whole deal. So tell her that. Yeah. Look it up. Cause she can find oh, it. Believe me, my wife is like, she's the first one. Because what's funny is she's in charge of the, um, the influencer network that they're putting together. Yeah. And what's her name? What's the fashion designer from New York that surfs in Montauk? She started making wetsuits. What's her name? Oh, Mara Hoffman? Cynthia Raleigh. Oh, Cynthia Raleigh. Okay. Yeah, and like they approached Johnson Johnson about doing something, and everyone's like, my wife was like, see, they're getting into this girl surfer thing. Yeah, that's smart. I yeah, that's I think so. I think the thing that they did with the Ouch campaign was way ahead of its time. It would have been smarter to do it now. Yeah. You know, they did it then. Maybe it didn't get received with the you know feedback they wanted. But now I think it would be a different story. Like I said, social media is just different. Yeah, and you have a different a well, different deal of advertising. You know? Well, that's the thing with social media too. Now I think it's had such a big influence on surfing, um, pros cons, whatever you want to call it. I think it's a pro thing. I mean, if you ask me, I don't see anything bad with it. I don't no, really, I mean, obviously, self promotion can be super corny. Yeah, at times, but at the same time, there's a lot of people out there that you never got to see before that you can kind of like look through stuff. It's kind of cool. I mean, look, me, it's like I've been exposed to, like, tons of people through that. Like, I've been, like, it's been pretty amazing. But it's a double-edged sword. It also exposes people's fucking corniness, like, to the extreme. You <laughs> no, know what it I mean? does. It does. Like, like for us, we all grew up, like, ad- adoring Tom Curran. His Instagram just solidifies how awesome he is because yeah. he's so strange. And you yeah. look at the stuff and you're like, well, this makes total sense. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's cool. Or other people are like, I really look at the guy and you look at this and you're like, God, what a dork. Yeah. What a narcissistic fucking dork. Oh, there's you know? there's tons and, of that and shit. That yeah. part for me, that part of social media is fucking gnarly. I yeah. sit back and I'm like, dude, you could put another picture of yourself up again. A selfie. Again. Another one and another one and another again today. Me. Me. Me 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 is all that I see. Is kinda like Or you know it's a new It's kinda becoming popular and I that part of it's kinda bullshit because that's not fucking cool, dude. Yeah. To that extent it's not cool yeah. at all. There's no way it's cool yeah. I don't care how you try and justify it or whatever it's like yeah. what your fans want fucking lame yeah you know? no I agree with that 100% and I hate social media like use it for education and different yeah. stuff like let people have a little peer into your world rather than just like the same shit every day that's my take on it I had a lot of people that I looked up to and then I got to like look at some of their stuff and read some of the shit and I was like oh god 
No. Well, here's the thing. If you were better, you were better before that was on there, you know. This is the thing though, like with your Instagram, the thing that's like I find so awesome about it is you're doing a lot of historical stuff on it. Well, I try and tag, and here's another thing. There's a lot of historians via Instagram who never met any of these people. Right. Right? Or like all information, all that stuff. Most of the guys that I put in is first-hand accounts of people that I came mm-hmm. across or stories that were handed down to me either directly from the source or shit that I encountered firsthand. Or stuff that was handed down yeah. to me through Donald or, you know, through Nat or different things. Like little bits of information that isn't generally knowledge to the public. Yeah. I don't go and wake up in the morning and Google search my information. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I find pictures in different things. And I always have people ask me, where do you find these pictures? It's the same place I found old surfboards. Right in front of you, dude. You just didn't pay attention to it. Yeah. It's all right there on Google. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you fucking go and you can find all these same pictures. Like, how did you find it? It's like, were you not looking? Do you know this thing called image search? <laughs> yeah, image search. I don't even punch names. A lot of times, a lot of the shit that I find will be, I'll be looking for someone else's fucking picture. And it'll pop up. And then I'll see it. I go, Oh, I remember that one. Yeah. You know, as a kid, I used to look at every surf mag from the opening page to the back because we didn't have surf line and so shit. Yeah. So I studied it, you know. And then when the grotto opened, I used to go smoke joints in my car and yeah. sit in there. I mean, I don't know if you remember the Lombard Grotto was here. It was the greatest surf shop in the history of surf shops. Right. And I used to go sit in there high as a kite dude, as a kid and just go through old surfer mags. And like, you know, I was like, like absorbing, absorbing it. it, reading it, and then Sam was such an early historian that if you had any questions, yeah, I fucking, I would tell you some. And he'd tell you some sort of tell like you some crazy it. shit that went on to it. You're like, oh, you know. So that was that was kind of like, you know, that was my internet back then. But it, I think it's just awesome that you do it. Like I think it's great. Like I love looking at your feed because I think it's like for me, it's like you'll. And I'll, sometimes I'll just be like one short sentence like, oh, this was that blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this is like, this is what people should know about. Well, you know? I feel bad because I don't, I feel really weird putting myself on there. I don't want to yeah. put my son, but even then I don't want to put too much him because yeah. I don't want to be that parent. <laughs> I was trying to sell his kid all the time. I'm super <laughs> proud of him, but I just don't want to like every picture to be him, you know? And then the same thing for it to be me is kind of like, dude, people have seen me my whole life. You can look up all the information. Yeah. I don't need to put myself out there every day. If I have like a cool picture or something that I think is cool, then I'll put it up, but... Most of the time, I'm just trying to like, just like the book that Housemate and I did, you know? It's like a, uh, you ever see this? Uh, yeah, 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 it's pretty awesome. I mean, this was, you know, like a payback. Did yeah. this cost us so much money to make? Yeah. Like a dime off of it, you know? But I kind of look at it like, this is kind of like what my Instagram is today. You know what I mean? I put a lot of like the people. No, and it's, it's amazing to see. I mean, that's the thing. I think, you know, a lot of people, a lot of guys never saw this book. A lot of people have never seen it, so it's kind of like... I saw it at um, a friend of mine's house, like, in New York. She was actually a fashion person. Like, right after we left, this picture, he looked at all of us, he said, thanks for making me feel important. Wow. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. That's literally what he said. He walked outside and he goes, thank you for making me feel important. Wow. Because no one had been to visit him, dude, in a long time. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. That was all sitting, dude, in the walls. That is like the history of surfing right there. Everything. That was all uncared for in a hot corner of his tiny-ass little place in Costa Mesa. Oh, my God. Yeah. Read through the tin cans, dude, of what's in those things. I mean, it was the gnarliest... I'm getting chicken skin right now. I'm just holding this thing, telling you the story. Like... Yeah, and, and that book was a big... I mean, you guys yeah, worked but there. we did it so long ago, dude. It was 2005 when we put this out, you know? But it's still a book that everyone kind of like, like... Yeah, certain people saw it. I mean, but it just... It's funny, because I saw it in, in the, the 
She used to be the head of PR for APC. It was in her house. It was like really funny. I mean, I wish if I could do it again, I would have re-edited it. and would have done some different stuff. I was young when I did it. I didn't have time to think. Oh, about well, you it. could do like a. We have so much stuff. We have so much stuff that we shot that's just sitting that we didn't like use. You know, and it was hard in the end. We were getting so frustrated trying to edit and put it together that it, it kind of became like a pain in the ass. You know, yeah. we were just trying to rush it to get it done. If I could do it over again, then we've got well, a lot you of can always do it. like a newer version of. So it. we were talking about trying to like reverse it because it's just half the guys, a bunch of them are dead now. So it's yeah. kind of like you know. That's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, when we shot Dora, he counted the frames. <laughs> Counted. He looked at him in the lap and the one. He goes, "That's one roll." <laughs> uh, he made Michael sign. They they did a, a handwritten contract on a napkin. Are you? <laughs> I'm not kidding, dude. He made him sign it. it. I mean, it was like just the funniest shit. Cause he told us, he said, "You can never sell those in a gallery ever, cause you put them in a the book and that's it. These are not for sale." Oh my god. Which was kind of like that's that's pretty, Dora. Pretty rad. Yeah. He was like, "Don't fuck me." Yeah. Which is awesome. Which is pretty pretty like. Pretty cool. Because at first, you know, when I asked him to take the pictures, I said, hey, can I? He goes, no. Before I could even get the picture part out. And he was like, no. <laughs> You're like, yeah. like, fuck, dude, come on. You know, it took like a day. And actually, Donald was the one who went over. He's like, quit being an asshole. You know? He was like, your fucking kid wants to take a picture of you. What's yeah, your problem? Not... You know, he like, it looks up to you. Yeah. So he, he let me do it. You know, the only person that didn't let me photograph him was Phil Edwards. Really? Phil Edwards doesn't like me. And it goes back to when I was a kid. And this is actually a rad story. Um. When I was 16, I was in France for the World Contest, and I lost. And I don't think I lost. I still, to this day, don't think I lost the event. And, and I, I took it really well. I didn't cry. I didn't do any of that shit, you know? And, but I was obviously physically hurt, you yeah. know? And, and my trophy was in this huge cart. We were in the Paris airport, and we were all flying together. And Phil was with us, and, and my mom was with me. And my mom let go of the cart, dude. You know, and it rolled down the fucking thing, and it hit the wall. My, my trophy was this crazy sculpting made out of the old original Beerit's wall that's not there anymore. Oh. Shattered into pieces, you know? And I, like, I kind of had a meltdown, like a 16-year-old kid would. Yeah. I was just like, fuck! All of a sudden, dude, my arm gets grabbed, right? And I get pulled into this elevator, and it's Phil Edwards who pulled me into the elevator, and he hit the fucking door, and we went up to the next floor. He said, would you ever talk to your mom like that again? That was the last time he ever spoke to me. Oh my god! And he's he doesn't like me from it even till this very day. You know, like has never given me another chance to like. Oh my god! To replace my my bad deeds as a kid, and I tried. I went through Mickey Munoz. I went to the guy that built his house, dude. I tried every avenue to reach him. I had Don call him. Nope. Some people just hold it on. No, he just held on to it, and it's funny. I ended up meeting Grubby Clark when we photographed Lopez for the book. I went to Lopez's house, and and. Gordon Clark was there, and uh, I I didn't know it was him until dinner because I heard his wife call him Gordon, and I went, "Whoa!" I go, "You're Grubby Clark." He's all, "Fuck you!" So he said, "Fuck you!" And I went, "Whoa!" I said, "I didn't know." I was telling him we were shooting the book. Blah, blah. He goes, "Who who didn't let you shoot him?" And I said, "Phil." He's like, ah. And he's when he said to me, he goes, you know what you should do? He goes, you should take two white pages and write Phil Edwards. <laughs> That's actually a great idea. He goes, he goes, so that people know how much you look up to the guy. You know, yeah. you just say photo not available. Yeah. We didn't do it because we didn't want to disrespect him, but that was my Phil story. <laughs> I got grandpa by Phil, and that's why he wasn't in my book. But you have that story? Yeah, I got a little story to store away. Well, um, I'll end it just on a couple of things. One, you've worked with like a lot of great like photographers and filmmakers like Thomas and all these people. Who was, when you were doing... The, any of the surf movies what was your favorite person to work with and why or 
is there a person that you sticks out to you the most that you've worked with film wise out of all of them man I try to explain this to people when I was a kid there was a lot of letdowns because I you know like at the time when you're 13 14 longboarding just wasn't really a sellable commodity mm -hmm. to the industry and a lot of the guys that were photographers didn't want to take the time to shoot unless they could make money off of it right when I was 14 I walked up to Aaron Chang and I'd be, and I asked him to shoot me, and he fucking, dude, he looked at me, and he goes, I don't shoot long borders, and he turned his back. Oh, shit. Like, just basically told me to fuck myself. Oh, my God. And then Tom Survey did the same thing to me at the OP Pro when I was 16. I walked up to him to the fence, and I said, hey, you're Tom Survey, because, you know, Brewer was shooting me at that point. Yeah, yeah. I said, hey, I want to I wanna shoot with you, and he goes, I don't shoot long boarding. And he just walked away, dude. Turned his back on me. What's the guy who ended up giving my first cover for Surfer, by the way? Okay. <laughs> turned his back and walked away, you know? And that, and that was really, to be honest with you, that was what it was like, you know? Because the people didn't get longboarding was yeah. not cool. And they didn't want to deal with it. And they sure shit didn't want to shoot some little kid that looked like a girl. So, <clears throat> you know, I had a lot of doors closed in the beginning. Art was, for me, my first, like, I've made it, you know what I mean? Because I had other guys, longboard guys like, you know, Tom Keck and, and Leroy shot me at a young age. Uh -huh. Hal Jepson shot me when I was little. I mean, cool shit. Hal came down and filmed me a couple times. Uh, but when art started really shooting me, that opened the door to where the rest of the photographers started paying attention. Because art, art got a job, it was like for Casio or something, and he had to come down and shoot me. And we were all in the seaside parking lot, and we're in my friend's car, and we're all rolling a joint. And I forget this shit. And this fucking Volvo pulls up. <clears throat> and he gets out and he comes over and he's like banging on the window and all of us are like trying to hide the window <laughs> like, shit, oh shit, oh away, shit. You know? and I roll the window down and he goes god I can't believe you kids man and he's like all you guys all you surfers the exact same like all of us are just like whoa and he goes you know what I'm really pissed off about and we're like what and he goes you didn't wait for me and he goes here's the canister in you know and he let us roll it right for him and that was that was honestly that was the beginning of my I mean I had some success before that but after that everybody returned the call pretty much that was it that so was it. art to me was my you know and I knew Stesic and all them before that but yeah. Craig wasn't taking pictures of me he was you know just doing weird shit yeah recording my conversations and <laughs> goofy art stuff yeah <laughs> goofy Craig Stesic he used to call me and be talking I could hear him typing in the background you're like what the fuck he'd be typing <laughs> our fucking conversations oh, just like the funniest shit. my dad used to think he was the weirdest guy he's like who is the dude the fucking he, he used to it's first time he saw him, he's like, who's the guy from Roger Rabbit? That's what he said to me. He goes, who's the fucking Roger Rabbit guy <laughs> following me through the parking lot? Yeah. He's like, who is that guy? That's so funny. You know, and then when my dad found out who it was, he was like... But those were the guys, basically between Craig and, and, and Art and those guys, they kind of legitimized my being able to gain. And obviously Herbie Fletcher. I don't yeah. give Herbie enough credit. Herbie is the first person that ever sent me anything. I'll never forget the day the UPS truck came around the corner with my Astrodite package. <laughs> so, Herbie, I love you. Thank you. <laughs> Art, you're the man. Donald, I love you. You're hanging out with us anymore. Um, last question I'm going to ask. What's your favorite break to surf and why? Uh, uh, Cardiff, still. Uh -huh. I mean, obviously, it's where you live. Yeah. Um, probably between Cardiff and Pipeline. They're like the two that are kind of like, I feel comfortable. You know, I don't think I'm going to build surf Pipeline when I'm older, but I'm uh -huh. going to still try. <laughs> but, but between those two, because I've kind of shaped my whole life around those two spots so but I, Cardiff, Cardiff I know where I'm going to end up when I'm 90 so I it's can Cardiff. Cardiff you know what I mean yeah. if I make it to when I'm 90 or yeah. whatever you know that's kind of like the goal yeah. I think a lot of guys are always looking at like what's the next move you're going to pull I'm always looking at the guys that are like 40 years older than me and I'm just like how the fuck am I going to make it how do you get there how am I going to get there yeah. you know and that's that's I'm looking at the long picture as opposed to just like you know the next maneuver I look at those guys it's like my, my 
my biggest inspiration at the moment. Because you look at them and there's so few. You know? Yeah. And really, if you make it to that, you've graduated to the master class. You know? Yeah. So I hope you guys enjoyed that interview we did with Joel. His take on the Kelly Slater Surf Ranch actually made me rethink it. You know, the purist in me was like, oh, I hate it. But after talking to him and thinking about how it relates to, you know, skate parks and when they start building street plazas, it's two different things. And on top of that, I think you're going to have to know how to surf to surf that thing. You're not just going to jump into that as your first wave ever without even touching a board. So I think it's kind of interesting. Um, but anyway, uh, this is the Bodega Border Crew Podcast, uh, Volume 13, Episode 13. Hope you guys are enjoying it. Uh, make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check out our page, bodegabordercrew.podbean.com, where we uh, list the tracks that we're playing, uh, links to things we're talking about, and people we're talking with. Uh, a lot of stuff that Joel spoke about we linked to in both on that page as well as our iTunes description. So make sure to check that out uh, so you could click over to see the article he's talking about, a video he did with Weed Maps, video that I'm obsessed of him uh, surfing pipeline on a bonzer egg, which makes me really want to get a bonzer. But anyway, uh, we're just going to get back into it uh, with a little ghost face killer, and then we're going to check back in with you guys a little bit and do some short takes. Peace. Yeah, yo, 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 yo
smoke screen, stop the valence. The valence. Laying up, yo, watching these crack niggas. Playing up rap games for what, see? Back in the days, crime pays in mad ways. Sporting Tommy Hill with caves, 360 waves. And no searching for loose ends. Now flex 300 bins, mad tens with mad diamonds. Now that's the life of the good life. Sometimes niggas act trite. I played the place throughout my hood life. Remember, I got blasted. Now that's in the basket. God forbid I lay in the casket. But now I'm all about G notes. No time for we mixed with coke. I wash my mouth out with soap and got my act together. Low sweaters and better and fat leather. So whatever, bring it on.
Hands out with my black Tims. Leaving niggas crippled with artificial limbs. A slug in the brain, cause you tried to shame. You thought you was a man. You fucking coward. I'm with my ill niggas trooping down Atlantic Ave. Three blunt steel plus this weed in the stash. Ten boots flop as the L gets sparked. Play the shouts from the street as flames moving in the dark. I've had it up to here with y'all weak ass rappers. Bucktown, home of the original gun clappers. The name Smith and Wesson ever representing lovely. Smith draws the forfeit if your punks try to rub me. And I got his back, leave your body lying flat. It's time to knuckle up, guard your grill, fuck that. Timberlands booting up the ass of ain't your nards. You're getting surgery, trying to cover up the stars. You pussy old boy, grab watch where you stand. Smith and Wesson coming, let you know who's the man. Now is crazy, but I get real rough, no question. Running with Black Moon, representing Smith and Wesson. The boys crazy, boys roll more deep, bringing happy. So get dramatic and get splattered in a heartbeat. Bits and pieces when I release the boom. These type of tunes can be consumed in the rubber room. Now I rock with Buckshot. What the fuck, God? I got enough props so you can get the fast I said one, two, three. Let me know if you're ready for me. Lord, you must have thrown your hands up on the mic and let them know. I'm about to flow when you've written stick it, cause you must get wicked. Never hesitate to bigger my lyrical gangster. Now lyrical prankster, see. Straight from the head of Buckshot, hitting them real irate. May never come for joke, me up for shoot you upon the mic. You grandpa, like the Babylon on sight. Talk about my nigga, screw face, tie your shoelace. Let my nigga base tell me who take who place. Side up and up, side up and up, back. Yo, chill, Paulie, God, they ready for that, they ready for that. Everybody wanna fly, and get high, but nobody wanna die. Why, 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 hey, yo, word why, up, kid. Why, why, That's not that bullshit. Word. Now you the man, now you the man, now you the man. Now you the man, now you the motherfucking man. Now you the man, now you the man, now you the man. Now you the man, now you the motherfucking man. Now you the man, now you the man, now you the man. Now you the man, now you the motherfucking man. Yes, this shit is raw, coming at your door. Start to scream out loud, Wu-Tang's back for more. Yes, the hour's four, I told you before, prepare for mic bite. And plus the Cold War. This rhyme you digest through the RZA console. Ask why slam non-diagram pole. Raekwon dropped the bomb, hunch back. Notre Dame, golden arms is bronze. Who the palm hit Quran, it blows extreme. Mainstream be the theme, supreme team. America's cream team, redeem beat out the song. Chrome tones, hit the moans of Al Capone. Gunpowder to the dome, it splits the bone. Wig blown off the ledge by the alleged full fledged sledge, rizzer edge, one dose of my ferocious handheld trigger cut. I got Pella spitting shell, paralyzed, you get touched. In critical mic cords, hanging like umbilical cords, those swords, five star general. Roar be the quote, rap style, sword throw through the fully operational handheld totem. Hmm. Yes, this shit is raw coming at your door. You start to scream out loud, Wu Tang's back. I'm gonna get times one, snatch up my sounds, get done. I hold a title, and here's how my belt was one second. Slick majestic. Broke mics, so left infected. Germs start to spread through your crew. Do like an effort. You ask for it. Shut up the jams like syringes. My technique alone blows doors straight off the hinges. Master Avenger, I appear to blow your air like wind with a freestyle sharper than the Indian spear. So sit back and let the king explore. Describe me, the kid's nice and he holds swords in his name. Black attached to nerve like migraines. With more gains than beggars on trains. Living sharp pains, poisonous rebel like deck. You can't destroy this. You get ambushed. 
Bush Gate. Try to avoid just side effects of hot raps and hot tracks. A duffel bag full of gun suns dipped in black. My culture flies and attacks like a vulture. Ghost face in Madison Square is on your poster. Yes, this shit is raw coming at your door. You start to scream out loud. Wu-Tang's back for more. Yes, the hour's full. I told you before. Prepare for mic fights and plus a cold war. Be on the lookout for this mass murderous suspect that fills more body bags than apartments and projects. And as far as the coroners know, the autopsy show it was a Shaolin blow put on by my family, brought to the academy of the Wu and learned how to fuck up your anatomy steadily, calm and deadly. Splatterhead lyrics I lick through your transmit. MC submit to the will as I kill your juvenile freestyle. Civilize the mental. Devils worship this like an icon. Bear hugging mites with the grips of a python. Yes, this shit is raw coming at your door. Start to scream out loud. Who takes black for more? You heard of the rats before, but kept waiting for the son of song. I keep dance hall strong. Beats another worthy of my cause. I prolong extravaganza. Time sits still. No propaganda. Be wary of the skill. As I bring forth the music, make love to your eardrum. Dedicated to rap, nigga. Beware the fearsome. Lebanon, John Malcolm X, beat threat. CD massacre. Murder to cassette. I blow the shop up. You ain't seen nothing yet. One man. Ran trying to get away from it. Put your bifocal on, watch me or cometh into your chamber like Freddy into dream. This could boomerate your technique in your scheme. Four cause applause like a blackjack did that. You stuck on stupid like I'm stuck on the map. Nowhere to go except next show, bro. Entertaining motherfuckers can't stop OM battling. You don't want me to start tattling. All up on the stage cause y'all snakes keep rattling. Bitch, you ain't got nothing on the rich. Every other day my whole dress code switch. So just in case you Wanna clock me like Sherry? All y'all crab bitches ain't got the worry. Can't get a nigga like Don Dom a dozen. Even if I'm smoked out, I can't be scoped out. I'm too ill. I represent Park Hill. See my face on a $20 bill. Cash it in and get $10 back. The fat LP with cappuccino on the wax. Pass it in your thing, put valve up to 12. Put all the other LPs back on the shelf and smoke a blunt and dial 917 16049311. And you could get long dick hit. Pop affection. I damage any MC who step in my direction. I'm Staten Island best, son. Fuck what you heard. Niggas still talking that shit is absurd. My repertoire is USSR. PLO style got thrown out the car and ran over by the Method Man Jeep. Devon can't define my style. It's so deep like pussy. My low cut face stay bushy like a porcupine. I part backs like a spine. Got you like a blunt and reconstruct your design. I know you want to diss me, but I could read your mind because you weak in the knees like SWV. Trying to get a title like Wu Killer B. Can't change your habit. You know I'm friends with the Abbott. Me and Rizza Rod name printed in the tablet under vets. We paid out debts for mad years. Hibernated sound and now we out like beers and born power. Born physically, power speaking. The truth yeah. in the song. Motherfuckers better know. <laughs> Lock your windows, close your doors. Get your smalls. My man Imp left a tech and a nine at my crib. Turned himself in, he had to do a bid. A one to three, he be home the end of 93. I'm ready to get this paper, G. You with me? Motherfucking right? My pockets looking kind of tight. And I'm stressed. Yo, Biggie, let me get the vest. No need for that. Just grab the fucking gat. The first pocket that's fat. The tech is to his back. Word is born, I'ma smoke him. Yo, don't fake no moves. What? Treat it like boxing. Stick and move. Stick and Nigga, move. you ain't got to explain shit. I've been robbing motherfuckers since the slave ships with the same clip and the same 4-5, two-point blank, a motherfucker sure to die. That's my word.
word. Nigga even try to vote guard. Have his mother sing it. It's so hard. Yes, love. Love your fucking attitude. Because the nigga play pussy, that's the nigga that's getting screwed and bruised up. From the pistol whipping, webs on the neck from the necklace stripping. Then I'm dipping up the block and I'm robbing bitches too. Up the heron bones and bamboos. I wouldn't give a fuck if you're in here. Give me the baby rings and the number one mom pendant. Huh. I'm slamming niggas like Shaquille. Shit is real. When it's time to eat a meal, I rob and steal. Cause mom Duke ain't giving me shit. So for the bread and butter, I leave niggas in the gutter. Huh. Word the mother, I'm dangerous. Crazier than a bag of fucking angel dust. When I bust my gap, motherfuckers take dirt naps. I'm all that and a dime sack. Where the paper at? When he's sticking you and taking all your money. Give me the loot, give me the loot. And I'm shooting niggas quick if you hiccup. Don't let me fill my clip up in your back and headpiece. The opposite of peace. Sending mom Duke a reef. You're talking to the robbery expert. Step into your wake with your blood or my shirt. Don't be a jerk and get smoked over being resistant. Cause when I lick shots, the shits is persistent. Huh. Goodness gracious, the papers. Where the cash at? Where the stash at? Nigga, pass that before you get your great duck from the main thug. 357 slug and my nigga Biggie got an itchy one grip. Huh. One in the chain, but 32 in the clip. Motherfuckers better strip. Yeah, yeah nigga, peel. Before you find out how blue steel feel. From the Beretta, putting all the holes in your sweater. The money getter. Motherfuckers know the better. Rolex watches and colorful swatches. I'm digging in pockets. Motherfuckers can't stop it. Man, niggas come through. I'm taking high school rings too. Bitches get screwed with the earrings and bangles. And when I rock her and drop her, I'm taking her don't knock her. And if she's resistant, baka, baka, baka. So go get your man, bitch. He can get robbed, too. Tell him Biggie took it. What the fuck he gonna do? Man. I hope apologetic or I'ma have to set it. And if I said it, the cocksucker won't forget it. Hey, bitch. But he's sticking hey, bitch. Bitch. Give me the money, bitch. Money. Give me the loot. 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 All this walking is hurting my feet. Who money looks sweet? Where? In the Isuzu G. Man, I throw him in the fiend. You grab the fucking cream. And if he start to scream, bomb, bomb, have a nice dream. Hold up. He got a fucking bitch in the car. Fur coats and diamonds. She thinks she a superstar. Oh, Biggie, let me jack her. I kick her in the back, hit her with the gas. Hey, chill, shorty, let me do that. Just get the fucking car keys and cruise up the block. The bitch act shot, getting shot on the spot. Oh, shit, the cops. Be cool, fool. They ain't gonna roll up. All they want is fucking donuts. Why the fuck he keep looking? I guess to get his life cooking. I just came home, ain't trying to see Central booking. Oh shit, now he looking in my face. You better haul ass, cause I ain't with no fucking chase. So lace up your boots, cause I'm about to shoot a true motherfucker going out for the loot. Take that, motherfuckers. Hear my people in the club, gotta wake up the chief. 
Not a pale frill ghost, she yell erect the most. Cause the Mecca land never had a Leo Africanos. The Sudanian, master of the Mediterranean. If it's lovely, I'm the one you're skypaging. Lower than the mole man, R&B is silly. The only male hardcore cruising through my city. Rise to the supernova, suave like bowler. Heavy hitter, I consider you can lean in on my shoulder. Measure like a yardstick, thick at arithmetic. You add it up and I roast the high pick flip. Get the picture, then I'm gone as the funk lingers on. I don't publicize hate to keep the black race torn. But steady at an altitude where you get the mental food. Not to be rude, here's a fresh pot brood. Oh, what a web we weave when we practice to deceive. Sparking off a trick up the sleeve. Beat stock the bedrock, listen and you see. And I'm sure you will agree you can't front on me. Yo, Was locked in a tomb that I gradually groom Coming out now smelling like perfume So take a whiff when I rap a gift Play it like the gospel The logical apostle colossal Afro will cut me like a fade with the blend Sport a bald head but never needed hair club for men Drop a scud fully capable of forming an eclipse Skips the backflip soon as it leaves my lips Suave no, I can make the funk turn to havoc Get the old 45 and I can boogie on static Welcome to the Ramadan Pilgrimage to Mechadon A prayer for the pair shoot crying off one. Cause ain't no misbehaving when the man is what you're craving Put the anger in the nation on your station Anvils that fills the whole circumference And black people crowd in the mass abundance To hear Gabriel's horn blow it like a Najee Rush the flavor unit with the top priority CL untouchable with the clip full And possibly the posse can't front on me Don't you dare front For the entire empire, yeah. total organizer of the earth, wind the fire. CL and Pete Rock unlock the hard rock. Many want to mock and the honey dips clock. Intercontinental for the residential, never coincidental. Rough on a rental, count all the bars numeric. Aesthetic, if you let it resurrect the non-generic The brother on the cover, yes, a rapper, not a singer If you recognize I'm point with your index finger Shock another flock when I hit the block Got a devil on the seventh level labeled as a rebel In retrospect, I detect those incorrect And reflect the black power project Supreme, cause I chose to never blaspheme Go into the extreme, place it on the very high beam And drop jewels for 5,000 fools who stampede Cause the proper showstopper's what you need So come and get a taste of the dynamic duo and I'm sure you will agree you can't front on me. And welcome back to the Bodega Border Crew Podcast, Volume 13, Episode 13. Hope you've been digging the tracks a little 
P Rock CL Smooth, Wu Tang, Biggie. Gotta put some Biggie in there. Um, this has been a pretty long episode, so I'm gonna get right to the short takes. First short takes another reminder Hot Dogger Championship, October 7th. Sign up, go to hotdoggers.org. Uh, check out their Instagram handle, Hot Dogger Championship on Instagram. Uh, Lots of good stuff going on. Uh, lots of people are showing up. Uh, our t-shirt that we did with the Bandits LA is going to be available for sale. Getting that printed up right now. Uh, give you a little hint. Uh, toes before hose. And so you should check that out. But click on the link in our on our page uh, to sign up. Our second short take is an interview that we found with Jason Dill. Jason Dill is a skater who uh, originally from California, lived in New York for a long time, used to ride for Alien Workshop for like 15 years, left and then started fucking awesome with uh, Ave, and it's been one of the biggest companies to come out in recent years. I think a lot of people are trying to copy what they do, uh, but I think it's an interesting article just to check out if you're into that company or into that skate scene in general, uh, just to hear his perspective on how he arrived to where he did. Uh, and. We link it again in the podcast description and on our Podbean page. Our third short take is the Spike Jones episode of Epically Latered that was on Vice. Our friend Patrick O'Dell uh, did, does the show Epically Latered. Uh, he used to do it online only, uh, then Vice picked it up for their TV show. Uh, you should check it out. Uh, in general, past episodes are amazing. But the Spike Jones episode really shows where my generation of skaters and then surfers came from. And I think one of the big, the two big takeaways is one, we got into it not because it was popular, because we genuinely loved it. And two, uh, the other thing is it's bred an, an attitude of we don't give a shit what anyone thinks and the only people that we have to answer to is ourselves. And I think that's something that gets misinterpreted from our generation and people uh, coming from skateboarding and surfing. So I think you should check it out and it gives you a little history of him actually starting in, in uh, BMXing. I have some of those old issues of Freestyle Magazine and uh, that's how I fell in love with Spike Jones and his whole aesthetic was I, I was a BMXer and then later on when I was a skater, nobody could forget that, you know, uh, Jeremy Klein uh, kickflip backside grab sequence photo spread. It's one of my favorite photos of all time. And uh, anyway, check out the episode. We link to it, and hopefully your service provider lets you watch the episode in full. Now, the last short take is this buoy system that they're installing off of Newport Beach to detect sharks. And it's kind of interesting because the system that they're talking about is uh, these buoys with sonar that will detect uh, larger marine life and based on swimming patterns if they're dolphins or if they're sharks, and if they're sharks, they'll be able to deploy drones or lifeguard boats to see what's going on and give out warnings a little faster. Uh, oddly enough, our cousin Kevin is the mayor of Newport. <laughs> he has a big hand in this, so shout out to Kevin Muldoon. And uh, for doing this, uh, I heard from him that they were trying to do this at San Onofre as a test, but that because it was State Beach, it was too tough. So now they're doing it at Newport, um, and I'm gonna see how it goes. I think it's a great way to neutralize the effects of large animals attacking people and uh, causing a ruckus a, a little bit earlier warning. We'll see how it goes. I'm crossing my fingers because I'd rather see solutions like this than us doing culling or killing sharks or anything like that. So kudos to Newport for trying to do this and hopefully the results are good enough that other beaches can adopt it. 
But again, this has been a huge episode of Bodega Border Crew Podcast. I mean, we're over two hours now. Uh, make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check us out, our page out on Podbean at bodegabordercrew.podbean.com where we list all the tracks that we play. Uh, we have links to things we talk about and people we talk with, interesting articles. Uh, you could also link to those articles within the iTunes description. Just uh, click, I think it's read more or something or more description or some bullshit and all the links work. So definitely check it out. Thanks for sitting with us for a little bit over two hours. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I know I did. Uh, thanks to Joel for sitting down with us and doing an interview. Really appreciate it. And I'm going to end this episode on our classic tagline. No need to bust a craze on a wave. There's more waves out there. There's more swell coming. Smile at your fellow surfers. We're all out there to have a good time. Leave that jock mentality at Equinox. We don't need that shit in the lineup. Seriously. No need to get aggro. If you get snaked, it happens. Just, you know, make people aware of it and move on. But with that, we're going to end it on some tracks. Hope you guys enjoy. Check you out next week. Peace.
matters lighter. Curious George with a J, not a G. A smooth flow of rubber, and I brought forth V. Style that flexes from here to Texas. Don't own a Lexus, so opposite sexes commence to diss. Why must you be material? It's because I flipped it and I ate you like cereal. Sense ain't literal. No clitoral stimulation from the tongue. Just around well brunk. First class delivery like a FedEx folder. As I look back in the days, I never was a Casanova type brother. Valentino lover. Nor the fly guy. But hey, well, I tried damn hard. I must add, listen, and trust dad. When he told me, yo, George, you's a cool mother. Shine bright, 
Motherfuckers moretting. Chicks, they keep stressing like Don Perignon. One day we'll live large. Word to Allah, and it don't seem hard. No more jealousy and envy. First is put upon me, watch me live free as can be. With my niggas, you see. Rising to the top like a rocket ship. Yo, what go far? far.